0: Thank you for tuning in to the Armchair Scholars podcast, a show that attempts to get inside the minds of experts in their field, hoping to better understand their perspective and further expand on our own. I'm
1: Brendan. And I'm Nick. And we're sitting down with professors to talk about their fields of study and how their wealth of knowledge can be helpful to listeners and ourselves.
0: All right, Nick, who was our guest today? Our guest was Brennan Facchini.
1: He's a professor of psychology at Menlo College, and he currently works as an MFT at a community mental health clinic.
0: We also think everybody's really going to enjoy the work he does at Menlo College, teaching a class on transitioning out of sport and the psychological effects it has on athletes. It was a great conversation, and we hope you enjoy. Sit back, relax,
1: and thanks for tuning in.
0: All right. I'll do it. Yeah, it's all you. Cool. Yeah. So if you don't mind, Brennan, if you could, we're, we're alive. We're going to go for it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so, for being here, man. yeah. Thank you for being here. Um, and if you wouldn't mind starting, I think Nick and I are both curious to know how you, maybe a little bit about where you grew up and, um, what that path to you being in your current role is.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you gentlemen for inviting me to be here. I feel very honored to be on the fifth podcast absolutely, <laughs> and uh, honored to be talking about this topic and uh, hello to all the listeners out there. My it. first podcast, so super excited about that. Oh, and nice. yes, I'll tell you a little bit about my background. So uh, I was born uh, in 1985 around August. So that Leo horoscope, if anyone's into that <laughs> or, or, or knows about Leo, Leo's. Um, And then we we were down in Burbank. My dad was still going to USC. He's a pharmacist. And so grew up around libraries and being around academia and things of that nature. Uh, We lived in Los Osos for a little while. And then my parents decided that they wanted to have a big family. And what they did was they moved back to the Central Valley. So just an hour south of Fresno in a small town of Hanford. You know, There was a lot of family around and cost of living was cheap. So that's where sort of my journey with athletics began is started at 5th f- grade started playing T-ball and became really really fascinated with just being amongst a, a community playing you know get playing catch uh Uh, hitting the baseball, playing basketball, playing football. I got really lucky. I hit a growth spurt really young and I was substantially taller than everyone. It's the best. And so I, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. Especially when you're getting rebounds and and you got to go back up with your left hand and make layups and whatnot. It just, it was fun. And and it was a, a good time, a good way to grow up. And So, you know, I kind of played multiple sports, football, basketball, baseball, growing up, and then decided I wanted to move on and go to college and play in the the collegiate arena. So I got some offers to play baseball. I went to a small little school called Menlo College uh, in Palo Alto. Shout out to the Oaks. Mm -hmm. Love them forever. And uh, all the professors there as well. Many of them. Many of my colleagues now that I work with are still there. So it's kind of fun. It's kind mm-hmm. of fun. Uh, but I think my uh, experience as an athlete uh, really came to a halt after, after I was done and I graduated. And I think there was one point before. I remember a very close friend. I talked to him earlier this week. His name is Connor Patterson. And he ha- decided to quit the, his senior year. There was a freshman that was playing in front of him. And he decided that he wasn't going to tolerate that and decided to leave the team. And I remember the night that he had the strongest emotional reaction I'd ever seen him have. And he broke down in tears. He was grieving. He was sad. And it all seemed to be right around this time when he transitioned from being you know, no longer an athlete. And that really struck me. And I wondered about that experience. And, I, and it wasn't until maybe two years later that I myself entered my transition from being an athlete to a non-athlete and experienced much of what he had experienced. And that was really the focal point for me where I realized that there's got to be something to this transitioning from being an athlete after 18 years to being a non-athlete it has got to be something there. And I didn't know what it was until much later in graduate school when I started to study. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how, that was kind of my first experience, I guess, to answer kind of a little bit about my my background, how I kind of came to be around this topic and where it originated. It was through relationship. It was through a friend's experience and then my own experience. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And that's kind of how everything unfolded. In a long-winded way, gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah, and could
0: you could you maybe just to add on one little piece at the end of that? Explain um, some more about the work that you're doing right now and some of the subjects that or the subject matters you teach.
2: Yeah, I can definitely do that. Definitely do that. So uh, not only um, so after my experience of transitioning, um, major experience that I can I'll delve into as we kind of unfold our conversation Mm -hmm. today. And then when I went to graduate school at St. Mary's College, go gals up here in Moraga. Um, once I went there, I started doing research on this topic while all of transitioning athletes, while also getting my uh, LM, my MFT and getting my an LPCC coursework taken care of. So, um... Before I started teaching this class, I was doing clinical work for Martinez Detention Facility Mm -hmm. with Contra Costa County and in a uh, dual diagnosis felony deference program called Behavioral Health Court that we have here in the county. And I was doing, um, working with individuals who were experiencing psychosis, uh, who had experiences of bipolar, anxiety, while also having substance related challenges. And it was during that time that I actually went back to Menlo College. And talked to my old professor, Dr. Mark Hager, who was still teaching there and still the associate professor of psychology there. And I said, Hey, I had this and I, I had this idea about this class that I'm developing in, in graduate school in school for my thesis. And he looked at it and he said, You can teach it next semester. Wow. So that was my What about a vote of confidence. Yeah. He knew the work that I had done because I worked very closely with him at, throughout my undergraduate work. And he I remember him years ago saying, hey, what are you going to do after your sport? What are you going to do when you're all done? Hmm. And I didn't have an answer for him because I was in denial. It's a loaded question. It's a super yeah. loaded question. Super yeah. loaded question. So he was an advocate because at the time I was in undergraduate work, doing undergraduate work, there was something like 80% of the school was all athletes. Wow. And there was no curriculum trying to educate them about moving on. And he was a proponent of that early on. So when he saw I had something to offer, he trusted me Mm -hmm. and gave me that opportunity. So uh, since that point, I've been teaching now for about six years at Menlo College on this topic of transitioning athletes. And while also uh, I'm doing uh, early intervention work for youth who are experiencing clinical high-risk symptoms of psychosis and for individuals who have had their first experience with a psychotic episode mm-hmm. so and that's i'm doing that here in contra costa county uh, at a program called first hope so uh, mm-hmm. those are uh, where i'm doing my clinical work and also uh, the length of time i've been at Menlo.
0: great thanks yeah, yeah.
2: long-winded but i think that ain't yeah, yeah. yeah everybody yeah
0: yeah how did you um
1: get into psychology and choose psychology while you were doing sport
2: well that's an interesting question I originally my since my father was a pharmacist, I wanted to be a pharmacist and found that after how much chemistry I needed to go through <laughs> and the age I was currently at, I was like, I don't necessarily want to go. <laughs> it's okay <laughs> go that far we'll pump the brakes there. But it was a professor. His name was Dr. Stegner and he used to work in old uh, uh, mental health hospitals and institutions when they were still open. I believe, before Reagan decided to close down all the institutions within the state. And now, it, I think in my opinion, those sort of institutions are in the prison system and the jail systems. But that's mm-hmm. another conversation that we can get to later. Um, and so the, Professor Stegner would tell us these stories about schizophrenia while in class. And it was... The delusions, the hallucinations, the grandiosity, the level of paranoia just absolutely fascinated me because of the experience these people were having. And I wanted to experience that. I wanted to try to see what working with that population was like. And that was around the spring semester of my junior year in undergraduate work. And I have been on that pursuit ever since. So that's been since 2006, 14 years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) quite a journey. So that's kind of how I got into the psychology field and started taking an interest.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking about too, how, so you kind of started to specify your major a little bit and know what you wanted to do towards your junior year of college. Yes. And some people still have like no idea at that point, and especially a lot of athletes. And that's where it can be like a huge concern as to like, what, what am I going to do once this all ends? And so, yeah, when you said that you were doing this class and I learned about it, I was like, wow, this is something that is, I think a breakthrough, um, something that's not talked about enough. Uh, so I, I hope that in this early phase of it, um, Mm -hmm. it can really start to spread and almost be something that's man, mandatory for a lot of, you know, student athletes and, in college. But um, yeah, I guess I wanted to ask too, what was it like starting this class? Like, did you experience a lot of hesitation with student athletes? Kind of talking about this, because it's kind of stigmatized, right?
2: To really open up about it. It is stigmatizing. I think saying that you lost something that was really important to you and being vulnerable around that and experiencing the grief and maybe even the depression that comes with it is can be viewed as weakness and weakness within the athletic arena is not heralded it's not you know lifted to people's shoulders because of it so i think that there is a stigma around it yes and having that conversation is very difficult very very difficult and and i have experienced it meeting you know, like uh going to get an enterprise rent a car and meeting hmm. somebody who did track and field, and really like no way, how was that experience for you, and how was it after, and just seeing people kind of shut down and hold on to that experience and not talk about it is is more of a sign that, yeah, there is a stigma there, there is something that's keeping athletes from sharing what it's been like for the, the moving on,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: yes I, I agree, yeah. Yeah,
1: I think it's just like so much of an identity, which I think we can talk about. Um, how do
0: you kind of structure the course? And in, uh, to go along with that, I'd be curious to know when you were building the course while you were at St. Mary's, mm-hmm. what that process was like. Sure,
2: sure. So let's start there. Okay. And then we'll we'll move to these yeah.
0: other questions. So
2: I actually didn't... I, I took my sweet time <laughs> in graduate school and got through it in about three years. And it wasn't until that last year and a half where we were pitching different topics that we were interested in. And I kind of, I had an idea for a, uh, dream therapy group because I was really doing it really into dream work at the time and Carl Jung and unconscious and symbolism and all of that jazz. And there was something that just didn't fit when I presented it ever. It still seemed a little airy fairy, so to speak. And then I went into this presentation and on the fly, manipulated it to direct towards athletes. And then as soon as I did that, everyone's ears started popping up. And there was some uh, women that I was in class with who actually had been rowers at University of Berkeley. And they said, hey, I think you have something there. And then so from that point, I started going back to my friend Connor's experience. And I started going to my own personal experience because... I went through my own transition that was extraordinarily difficult, and we'll we'll get to that. And it was, so I reviewed those and I said, okay, what's the foundational principles here? And then from there, got into transition theory, looked at emerging adulthood, which is the 18 to 25 region, looked at loss and grief, looked at the structure of the athletic environment, looked at identity in general, looked at what practical skills can athletes take from the field into the classroom? looked at how do we make this topic more real by bringing in guest speakers or showing different sorts of content like uh, Kobe Bryant post-retirement. His last game his post-retirement interviews. Uh, a huge one now is The Last Dance, in my opinion, with Michael mm-hmm. Jordan and, and the 90s Bulls. And so it, it was a matter of Someone saying, yes, you have something, and then digging into it and trying to formulate and create what is it that's most important and what is something practical that can be utilized during this 12 to 16 weeks in order to – that someone's going to have the rest of their life. If they ever enter another transition, because it's not just athlete transition, there's life transitions, relationship transitions, COVID transitions – election transitions. We've been experiencing that all year. Yeah. So I think that... So not only did I want to focus on athletes, but I also wanted to focus on life and having something practical that they can utilize and they can have on their desktop. So when they're in a tough spot, they can look back at this body of work that they've done, the reflections they've done, and help them through the given situation they're in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, may, it I mean, I think it's so cool that you took a lot of the work from, you know, that's out there that was in like, you were kind of drawing like lines with your hands. They were, um, transition theory, grief, and then, and you're kind of compiling all these different aspects of the field that you were studying, but then contextualize it for people in a way that was very relevant for their sport. And I feel like that's, you know, because I think intuition wise, people know a lot of the things that are like, happening when they're going through their transition out, mm-hmm. like you said, this, with the stigma and the um, not wanting to show weakness and some of those other things. But I think when you can break it down and, you know, boil it down to like, well, this is a grief moment and, you know, you're just experiencing it here and you can tie in all the, it kind of um, like simplifying it in, in a sense almost makes it easier to cope with. Because I think a lot of people are like, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. It doesn't make sense to me, so I'm pr- I must not be feeling it. Or they just shut the door on it. And I, that's what, one of the things I think is so important about a class like that is because, um, you know, sometimes understanding is the best way to start coming to terms with something like this. And um, like you were saying, like the Menlo College at one time while you were there, you were saying 80% of the student body was an athlete, which is, I mean, so common. I mean, there's so many student athletes out there from high school to college and everywhere in between. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean, I, I think that's really cool and I don't know why more schools aren't doing it or at least not talking about it.
2: It's a really good question. It's a really good yeah. question. Part of the reason why I'm doing the work is, and I think you hit the hammer on the nail, is there is an AIA division three, division two, even division one schools where people, humans, go to school to play a sport because they love it. It's their passion. It gives them a community. It gives them an identity. It motivates them. It structures their day. It gives them goals to push for. And when there's no education from the college or no education from a university about supporting students beyond that, I consider that an injustice. And I agree. I, I, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think it either because there is a certain criteria or certain curriculum that is more important for the direction the university or the college wants to take the student body, or there's just not enough awareness around this topic to bring something in.
0: Mm -hmm. I, I know Nick had a question too, and I wanted to get to answer, but with something you just said, do you think that your, is your class a psychology department class or is it an athletic department class upper division psych okay mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious if part of the the removing the stigma of the class specifically from the athlete's perspective who you know maybe go to school don't want to think about like aren't don't really care about their classes they want to play their sport that's their passion that's what they want to do and love and that's what they're working hard at i wonder if making it part of And I'm sure this may be something that you've already thought about, but making it part of the athletic department's mission to provide that and taking it almost out of the classroom setting in a sense. And maybe, you know, a 16 week course isn't the right way of doing that. But I wonder if that would help pull away some of the um, friction that you may experience getting athletes to like listen and buy into what you're doing if they feel like it's being backed by their sport, not by the class. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
2: I do, I do understand that, and I. And so what you, I think you're talking about is working with the athletic department in order to create a culture, yeah, around the conversation. Absolutely, and I think that that is a that's a good idea, and I. It's an it's an arena and an avenue that I'd have to pursue to see how that goes, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I think. Just kind of thinking out loud here. Yeah.
0: Okay. And that's all I do. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> yeah. I'm disorganized and out loud. So, get me back on track, gentlemen. If <laughs> no, I need it's to all get back now. on track. <laughs> um, I think that it's quite possible as well. And I'm not specifically, I'm talking about athletic departments generally here. I'm not talking about Menlo College where I work and the athletic department there. I do think that. An athletic department is focused on a team being as successful as yeah. possible in the mm. present moment. Yeah, and if there is a, something else that is drawing their attention away from training, away mm-hmm. from film, away from weights, and having them think about life beyond, then they're not being present. And I think that it, there could be some friction there.
0: I agree. Yeah,
2: and I think that's got that starts with that the AD. Mm -hmm. from the very top if they're on board then i think it's definitely got that trickle down effect Mm -hmm. if they're not then it could potentially be
0: troublesome yeah i could see a lot of coaches not wanting their kids in the middle of a season to start preparing for not being in that sport anymore and then potentially demotivating them to continue to put it to put in the effort that they've been giving Mm -hmm. if they feel like mentally they're starting to check out and transition too soon before the season's done um i agree yeah it's a Definitely a problem that would need to be tackled.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because like you said, the culture,
1: like they're these top schools who perform athletically. uh, The culture is that like it says that you're a student athlete, but it's that you're an athlete and they're going to try to throw you into whatever classes you like you can just pass to get by, you know, right? Um, They'll give you tutors. They'll give you whoever they want. Um, It's not everywhere, but I've I've definitely seen this with some friends. (laughs) That they'll just be in some like random class they don't really care about and then they get pushed through and they're performing well a- athletically but they're not that what less than 1% to go pro so now it's like okay i have this random degree that i'm not really passionate about and my school didn't support me other than that they like fed me and gave me housing so that i could perform to my best ability um athletically not academically and it's it's like that just doesn't seem right like the mission of that seems really off um, and it's, it's almost, it's kind of sad because I completely agree with you and I completely agree with you that like there would be pushback of supporting the person <laughs> like as a whole, you yeah. know, like that's, that's, uh, that's a tough one to, to sit with, but it's very real, which is con- really concerning. So,
2: and we're seeing that a lot more within the, you know, the division one schools where students are now asking to be, student athletes are being asked, being asked to pay be paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they make money. That's
0: what I was just thinking about as he was explaining that too. what are you? What how do you feel like that could positively or negatively impact a transition out if you know that you're going to be leaving with some financial stability potentially Mm -hmm. around your sport still? Like, for example, the way I'm imagining that and I know that there is some laws in California where which is going to allow this right? Is there a year that that's set to start or has it started yet?
2: I don't, I don't recall. I haven't stayed updated on that. Yeah.
0: So I'm just imagining, let's say you're a top 10 school, like university, and you've got a football team. And, you know, one of the ways I think this could go is that if you're an athlete and you have a student body at a school of 50,000, I mean, you could probably get 30,000 followers if it's a sports heavy school, like you're a top 10. Mm -hmm. Right. So now, your let's just say the football team has, you know, 30 people on it who've got 30 to 40,000. And then that's not even counting people from your high school, your hometown, like you get a hundred thousand followers on social media. All of a sudden you can get, you know, Nespresso to throw a sponsorship because they want you to post every morning that you're drinking Nespresso because they know that they want that to be spread around college campuses. So now they can take that money and from their notoriety, from their sport, they can then create like they're a advertising page for brands. Mm-hmm. And do you think if somebody can come out of school and maybe they lose their sport, but they're thrust right into this, you know, notoriety thing? If you know, if again, you probably got to be in that one percent who can hold on to it after your sport. But um, do you think that helps or negatively impacts the transition? Maybe, like you were saying before, these are life transitions. So maybe it just creates another transition <laughs> that your sport ends. That money probably isn't going to stay around forever. Um, so how does that end? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think the direction that any human being can go is unpredictable and uncontrollable. So I think as student athletes begin to get paid, I think it is going to unfold if it's effective or not for that transitional piece. We haven't really seen it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's to be seen. I do think that. I do think that as far as the topic of athletes getting paid, I do think as long as they maintain a certain level of GPA, I think that making some additional money in order Mm. to help their families, in order to get healthier food or get their vitamins and minerals or pay their tuition off is, is something that's valuable. I do think that there needs to be some sort of standard that needs to be met in order to give that money. Um, And especially with, you know, students coming out of school with so much debt these days, maybe having that additional money would allow someone to have a launch pad when they decide that their time in school is done, whether that be four to six years. I think that's the range of of the length people go to undergrad these days. So I don't, uh, uh, but I, I do think at the same time, there is something extraordinarily valuable that comes from. Being in a, a place of suffering and being in a place of struggle and finding a way to work yourself up, which, is, which goes back to the American dream, which is very much in question these days. And I think that there is something about gritting through an experience and knowing that you can have challenges, you can have struggles, and you worked your butt off and you got to the other side and you and even if you just have that piece of paper you still know that you made it and i think that there's something valuable in that and if we provide money to athletes i do think some of that's going to be will be transferred over cuz that's the nature of the beast of athletics and at the same time i do think on the back end there are going to be some skills that are not going to be developed because they haven't had to go out and say work for that extra money to pay for things Mm -hmm. that they desire. Mm -hmm. It almost just seems, though, they would be relying on a system to take care of them. Mm -hmm. When I think that at that point of 18 to 25, you're not an adolescent, you're not an adult, but you're learning those skills in order to work yourself up to it. So if we prolong that to 22, 23, 24, that means that we're setting someone up much later in life to not be prepared for say a job with adequate skills that they can take in or or learning how to budget or learning how to grind to get to where you want to be so i do think there are benefits and i think those are some of the pros and cons Mm -hmm, i see mm -hmm. yeah just kind of talking off the top of my head Mm -hmm. because i've never been asked that before
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's very real and that grit piece is so so true it's um in the moment, I can imagine, like, being a professor, it's hard to uh, really get some students to understand that. Like, if you're trying to say, like, hey, like, you've grinded and you still have the opportunity to do so and still achieve a really successful career outside of your sport. Um, and in that moment of grief, it can be, like, pretty challenging to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I did want to kind of break down like what how do you structure the course? Um what does it kind of look like?
2: Well, it, I <laughs> I never enjoyed growing up the classic teacher talking at the students in a lecture format. There's something archaic and very primitive. It can be effective, and I just always found that there wasn't I wanted to engage with the material. I wanted to ask questions. And when I got to graduate school, as both you gentlemen know, that it's dialogue-based. Mm-hmm. You're having a conversation. You're coming in with content. You're looking at your own life. You're looking at your communities, and you're looking at a national or global scale and trying to make sense of the way things are. And I uh, and I didn't really have that experience in undergraduate work, maybe a few times, but not where it was three hours of discussion. <laughs> and so I wanted to kind of bring that back because, and I think this gets into theory, is there are four components that take place. They're called the four S's of Sloshberg's model, transition model. And that is the situation. What's the situation you're, you're dealing with? Um, what are the strategies you have? So what coping skills to manage your stress, manage your anxiety, change your meaning, things of that nature. Who's in your support network? And then also who's, who, who are you? And I think that biggest one is who are who are you is difficult to, to foster in a class. And I think the way that you foster who an individual is and help them reflect and be more mindful of who they are is by discussing, is by doing reflective papers and having lengthy discussions. So someone has to sit in the heaviness of a big topic, or they have to sit with, uh, or they or sit with heaviness, sit with themselves. And exploring these questions, so the course is structured where we do uh, high and low in the very beginning of the class because it's important in such a space to build a sense of community. And I find that people share what they've been doing the last week, and one thing that's been good, one thing that's been bad. They're more likely to understand, like, oh, even though I'm at home during COVID and learning online by myself. There are still people, there are still my peers out there that are experiencing life and they're going Mm. through some of the similar things or not that I'm going through. And so we do a high and low and then we go into an activity. For some reason, my students this semester have really loved rhyming. (laughs) I really find we got to get their brains going. So I'll put a word up like like me and they'll go off and they'll do a rhyme for five to ten minutes just to kind of get them going. And then they'll come back, we'll laugh with people's rhymes and whatever activity we're doing. And then we'll jump into kind of mindful notes, like, you know, midterms coming up, so on and so forth. And then what we'll go into our lesson from there. And as we go through each point, I will ask a follow-up question. So this week, we're doing uh, the topic of loss and grief. So one would be, you know, bereavement, for example, which bereavement is the, the, the feeling of loss that you have initially after losing somebody. And I'll, then I'll turn it on them so has, has anyone had this experience and so people will share and we'll start to mm-hmm. get them talking and start to get them going and then after we do our lesson I have all the students send me two discussion questions that they, to ask what they're curious about and what do they want to ask their peers what do they want to know more about the topic do they have a criticism that they want to bring up or do they have an area that maybe I missed and that they want to bring in so they feel involved, they feel a part of it. And then we have another discussion from there. And then we have a ritual to clap at the very end hmm. in order to close things out. Um, and before we close things out, I also ask them feedback because I find that I'm a very, you know, I'm a 35, 35 year old young male and I am still learning. <laughs> so I need all the feedback I can get to help them engage, help really dial in the material so it's mm. polished. And we know what we're talking about. And that's typically how the class is structured and how it goes.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that sounds like something that I just kind of want to join in on.
2: <laughs> You're welcome to. Just yeah. jumping on that live You're Zoom. You're welcome <laughs> to. Yeah, <laughs> both of you guys. Are get, uh, students are pretty open to guests being around. So, mm. we'd love to have you, have you too. <laughs> that would be so cool. because
1: I Yeah, I think you hit on like how in grad school it is more discussion-based. Um, like we have a lot of group process, especially in psych, mm-hmm. which is really nice. And it's not something that I really experienced before. Um, and just that piece about like self-reflection, uh, is so key. I was thinking about that recently, actually. So I grew up in like religious Catholic schools for the most part. Wow. And while that was kind of hard for me, cause I, I don't really identify as very religious right now. Um, but with that a lot of our religion classes just ask for a lot of self-reflection papers Mm -hmm. and I always love them Mm -hmm. like it was something that I was so inspired to write and I didn't like writing or doing schoolwork at all (laughs) and then that kind of goes away once you like progress go to undergrad there's no self-reflection it's all research papers um very academic based and like the way I have maintained the self-reflection is through like some type of journaling but um there's such a power to naming it. And I think that like, that's what drew me in when I heard about your class at first, that was like the main piece is that, God, yeah, like it's so hard to transition out of something that's so true to who I am. Um, Like people ask me like, oh, what do you do? Or or, what do you play? And it's, oh, I'm I'm a soccer player. I played here. I'm a part of this team. And when that's gone, it's, And you're still in the in-between phase of you don't have a career yet, so you can't align yourself with a job or you can't align yourself with a different type of team that you're with. It's like, what am I doing? Um, Like, where do I go now? And what am I supposed to do? How how is I supposed to be prepared for this? Because it's such a it's such a high stake piece, too, because I think we all experience that at some point of Like if you go to college, I think you experience it in not knowing what you want to do in college, right? You don't know your major, uh, but as you go through it, you figure it out and you know that everybody's in it with you and people, this is like verbally expressed that, Oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll figure it out. But with sport, when it ends, like you were saying, and like you've mentioned, it just ends and there's no discussion. There might be a team talk about how like this might be the last time we wear this jersey. But after that, it's done. Um, you're kind of just left with all these feelings that you can't name. Then you, like you said, you just push them back. Um, it's tough. It's it's really tough. And it's something that I've just reflected on more so. And I think I've done that myself. It's just like push back a lot of those feelings about like ending sport. Um, and it's sad, you know. So that grief
0: part is very real.
2: Man, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more.
0: When, when you were describing your class, um, one of the things you said that you like to do is make it so that it's very self like reflective, Mm -hmm. um, and you try and get deep thinking involved and that's why it's discussion based. And you were talking about, you know, long form conversations being really valuable to really like learn about yourself. Is that, are you trying to instill that in the class? Like get your students to engage in that? so that they can learn from it or are you using that as a device for student athletes maybe both maybe the answer is both but i also i kind of hear that also being the the thing that these athletes need transitioning out is they need to come to they need to self reflect and learn who they are and spending time like and Nick and I were having a conversation about this Uh, in the last little episode that we put out. And I think I even made the comment that my favorite thing about a long conversation is two things. One, the fact that like you get to hear a ton of perspective on somebody else, but you, you said it too. You have to sit with the heaviness of a topic that can be a little bit uncomfortable. And what I benefit from personally in doing that is that it makes me really try and weed through a lot of the chaos that is in that. And like, become more grounded in where I stand morally on certain topics, ethically on certain topics. And I think through that, it really does help like define a lot about myself for myself. Like, cause I, I need that reinforcement for myself. So I know where I stand. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that is something that athletes need as they're transitioning out? And is the class does like, I guess, how are you delivering that to the students? And then, how are how are you helping athletes get that as well?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of threw a lot at you. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's okay. I'm gonna try to answer this the best I can. If I'm not aligned with you, clarify mm-hmm. and I'll ask. Yeah. Um, where my head goes is James Marcia created his four identity stages of identity achievement, moratorium, foreclosure, and diffusion. The research shows that most athletes are in a foreclosure stage, which means is that they've only sampled one identity and they don't sample others. They're locked, they're foreclosed in one. So what I find my responsibility is, is to wake them up to that fact that you've been stuck Mm. and that you being stuck at this point, number one is okay because it's gotten you to this point and it's benefiting you in some way. And at the same time, you, we as a group, or just you and me as a student to a professor, if you want to learn more, we got to start looking at other things that you want to sample, other things that you are interested in, because this one foreclosed identity isn't going to be here. And when you graduate or when you retire, and at the same point, this process of having these different identities, it's going to change throughout your lifespan. If you decide to get married and you, and you have a wife or, or a husband or, or a partner, you know, um, and at the same time, f- you're a 40 year old <laughs> midlife crisis, right? This process is going to happen multiple times. And I find my responsibility is to just
0: wake them up. I love that answer. Mm-hmm.
2: And then from there, it takes its own course. Mm -hmm. that's more I'm more of a a seed planter I guess is the classic cliche Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. yeah it's put
0: so I hope that answers your question. yeah it does um and then from can you actually break down for me those like four um the four things again yeah because and then maybe go into how you would encourage somebody to like if they were finding themselves in this situation where you know they're on this one personality or this one personal identity that they've used, used the foreclosed on is Mm -hmm. one of them. How would somebody go about, and maybe it's just like, go try a whole bunch of things, but how how can somebody guide themselves into figuring out what some of those other things might be? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I think something that I like to do early on in the class is I like to have them kind of go back to their childhood room and say, what was in your room? And what did you want to be in your room? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as kids, we want things, but sometimes we never get them because, of the, you know, socioeconomic status, circumstances, bills, whatever. So uh, we have them do that. And I think that there's this interesting change and it happens for everyone at different times where you are creative and ambitious and imaginative and, and the whole world is your oyster when you're young. And then at a certain point, all of those things that maybe you enjoyed get turned off because you're focusing on your schoolwork or you're focusing on your sport and you lose contact with these other parts of yourself that haven't had any light shown on them. they're in a box, so to speak, a toy box or whatever kind of metaphor you want to use. Right. And so what, what I try to do is I have them explore that and then I have them And what the class does, actually, and and I'll get into this, this is part of the structure piece as well, Mm -hmm. is what the class does is, is it has them look at three creative outlets. You have to go engage in three creative outlets for a total of three hours each. So if, if when we look back and you wanted to skateboard, like go get yourself a skateboard or borrow one from a friend and go out and try it out and experiment and see if you like it or not. And if you like it, keep doing it. It's going to be there for you when you're feeling down or you're missing your friends from your sport or you are uh, just not, you know, you're feeling depressed. Go jump on the skateboard and get out. So that's what, uh, that's kind of how I have them help. That's how I support them, I guess, would be the way to say. Start exploring other areas that they're interested in is by requiring them to go engage in things that they did as a child or something that they know a friend does, like, white water river rafting Hmm. or uh i got some students who went and uh, uh, fished the beach fished the salt others went and decided to try meditation or hiking a new place because they never hiked it's helped that's kind of how i again try to wake them up to these other interests that they have that they're gonna have the time for Mm -hmm. (laughs) down the line so i think that answers your question yeah Okay. Mm -hmm. Can help facilitate that process? (laughs) Okay.
1: So do you think that like identity is at the core of what you're working with?
2: I think, and I, I I think it goes a little bit further beyond, I think identity is of course values, beliefs, thoughts, um, things of that nature. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that on top of that, there's also this emotional piece as well that gets tied into it. And so I think it, it, it kind of extends beyond identity it, within that piece rather than what do, you, who, what do you believe and what are your values? It's more what, do you, what transitions have you experienced? How have you felt? Mm-hmm. How have you been in those situations? What did you need? And then taking that information to a future situation know, while reflecting on it in the present. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Okay, good. Thank goodness it
2: makes sense for anyone. (laughs) it does.
1: (laughs) And I I think, like, you're hitting on how it's, like, complex, too. Like, there's a lot to it. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
2: And what I try to do is keep things very broad, because I find that we're all different as humans, and we all think differently. And by keeping things broad, you allow people the space to go where they need to go, Mm -hmm. rather than being really... Specific and kind of, I mean, in some areas you need to be really specific and tight in what you're addressing. Like this week, loss it's more and it and it kind of took us a little while to get to this point, but kind of dialed in and be very specific. Like, what loss have you experienced and how has it benefited you? And kind of, you know, it's got to be very specific Mm -hmm. on those much heavier topics because people, you don't want to trigger someone in trauma, yeah, you know, you don't want them to get emotionally flooded. You want them to continue to sit with what they're experiencing and engage in the topic. How big is the class, typically? Well, it's ranged anywhere between 13 to 22 students. Mm. So it's relatively small. That's nice. It is. It is. You kind of get much more personal with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, what most students want.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So you've been teaching this class for six years now? Sure have. How has your kind of thoughts changed or progressed um, as you've like learned from students uh, in teaching this course, or what uh, comes to mind as you've gone over these past six years?
2: Well, what uh, the first thing that comes to mind is how how quiet the topic still continues to remain. I think that is something that is, even within the community, I think, I've tried to do my best to try to advocate and get other students to come into the class. Mm -hmm. And just how it continues to remain, again, it's maybe like prickles on a cactus. You know, some some are open to touching and, and trying it out, while others are more like, mm, "I'm gonna stay away yeah. from it." So, just and I think that comes back to the stigma and and things of that nature we were talking about. So, uh, how much it hmm. how much it still remains just a relatively quiet upper division class that people see athlete and they say, "Ooh, okay, I'm an athlete. Maybe I'll give it a shot." Mm-hmm. So it's still it's still relatively quiet.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about the like the grief process too and how denial like if I saw a course like that and I was really strong in my belief of like my sense as an athlete like I don't know if I'd want to like approach that at all just to keep myself safe you know
2: Definitely Which, it's a yeah. protective
1: measure Yeah
2: you know it's a protective measure fight or flight yeah freeze or submit
0: Yeah <laughs> Man. It's trauma responses It is so if you were going to give advice to somebody who is currently in their sport right now and they're facing what is likely to be the end of this part of their life, mm-hmm. how would you guide them to prepare for that? Or or what would you say that they need to start doing or exploring? Like maybe it's the childhood, um, the things that they liked in their childhood. But how would you get somebody going? mm
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I would say, since I'm not going to be working with them directly in a class or anything like that, I'd say, number one, get your support network really solid. Find You know, who are those 8 to 12 people that you really trust, who you really feel safe with, who you know are ride or die friends? Uh, I would say get them together because... The research shows when an athlete transitions out of their sport, they lose not only their identity, but they also lose their support network. And I remember personally for myself, I think I have only four friends out of, you know, a hundred and some odd guys, or even the school, the school are really small. It was only 800, but even out of those 800 people, there's only four guys or four people that I'm still connected to. So, you know, really get solid with those people and say, hey, can we please still connect after we're done with this experience and we're, we've graduated and we've moved on? And, you know, maintain a, you know, be disciplined, maintain a couple, call them every couple weeks, see how they're doing. Um, nice part about being done with college is sometimes you have some time on your hands. So maybe make a trip, make a road trip. Those, th- those types of trips are invaluable. So I would say that piece. First, support network, who are they? Next is you gotta find some other things that you love to do. Otherwise, you are gonna go a little cuckoo. And in the I mean, because you're gonna have you're gonna have so much boredom. And you know what we do with our boredom now is Netflix and social media, which has its own effects. So actually having some strategies to manage your stress to You know, that you can, something you can progress on, something Mm. you can build upon and get to somewhere is, I think, also going to be valuable because it's going to, instead of sitting down at night and feeling lonely and feeling depressed and anxious because you don't have any friends around, you know, you pick up, you, you have, say you're into knitting or you're into fly tying, you have those things that you can engage in. In those times of depression, boredom, loneliness, whatever your feelings are, that's going to help you stay distracted, that's going to help you maybe work through your feelings, work through your thoughts, and try to get through the storm that you're experiencing. So
0: I would say those two areas by far. Do you think having some kind of a goal or achievement associated with that hobby that you pick up is important to have?
2: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So let me give a. Is it okay if I kind of jump into some backstory here? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I'll, and I think it'll we add agree. a little bit more substance to maybe why I'm kind of approaching it in this manner. Yeah. Is so when I was when I graduated from so within three days I had graduated from college, I had retired from my sport, and I think it was within the first week my partner at the time had ended our relationship. And I had made a geographical move to another place. Man. So I everything that I had was basically ripped up. And I had and I jumped into my hometown where my family was. And I had my family there and whatnot, but it was still this huge shock to my system. And I was feeling very depressed. I was drinking alcohol. I was staying inside all day, unmotivated, staying in bed. And just felt like absolute crap, and I was extremely depressed. And I was with a, I was with a friend at the same time, my my buddy David Coolen. He had just moved back from uh, Arizona. He went to U of A and was a one pitcher out there. Um, and we, you know, we we just started playing catch, and you know, just having that social relationship with him and just playing catch like it. It let me at least be able to connect with somebody while I was still experiencing all this stuff. And that lasted for about a year. And it was, it was tough. I was alone in, a, in my family's ranch house out in 20 acres. I was, was just down. I, I mean, I was substitute teaching, but often, not often. So I was just stuck in this house out in the middle of the country. And it was, it was awful. Kind of like the the dark ages, so to speak, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I realized that I kind of needed to change things. I needed to switch some things up, and really, the only thing that really helped at the time was waking up and going to the library. Like I wasn't at home, but I was in this place where there are these books, and I can at least try to gain some knowledge from them and try to progress myself in some way. So I would do that for a little while, and then I started substitute teaching. And then I found j- my journal. I found writing in a journal, painting, and playing music on the guitar. And I just kind of worked with these three strategies when I wasn't teaching or wasn't coaching baseball. I coached some baseball for a while to just to stay connected to the sport. Still a stage of denial. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't until I found these painting, writing, and playing music, that all of a sudden, that sort of heaviness, this was two years later, had sort of been lifted. I was like, oh, it's, how did that happen? What took place there? And it was because I wasn't relying anymore on, like, my focus and my passion and my purpose and my meaning wasn't so much focused on sports anymore. It was on my, reflect, my self-reflection, my music, my the things i was creating there was something there that allowed me to kind of move out of this place and i found it in other friends too when they created a family you know maybe they weren't in a good place but as soon as they had a family it was like they had this new meaning they had this new purpose and then so and again i talked to others and what they were doing and sort of found out that being creative having different tools different strategies engaging in different things was a way to Help yourself out, mm-hmm. and that's kind of why that piece is in the class. Is because I that was the only thing that saved me and got me through a tough time, and and I found that was what had helped others too. Mm-hmm. So that's how that came in.
0: <clears throat> and then, sorry, I'm not sure if that was part of your answer too, but with um, in terms of like setting some kind of goal as part of the activity that you're taking part in. Did you, did you do that? And do you think that's beneficial for people? Like, for example, if somebody wants to pick up running, mm-hmm. do you think like entering a race, even if it's not to be competitive, but just to have something to just aim for, not so much for the event itself, but for something that you can set your sights on to reach and achieve like a, a best time or a, whatever it may be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm.
2: I think having goals is very important. Okay. Whatever those goals are for a person, it Mm -hmm. could be, you could have a goal that you're going to go do a 70-mile backpacking trip in the middle of mountains for 10 days, and that's your goal, and taking the steps to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, or a certain point um, on the guitar, or yeah, I think being goal-oriented is... Helps with focus. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. Agreed.
1: Do you self-disclose about kind of your
2: story in class? I do. It's always, I do minimally. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting dance between, because as a normal, clini- as a mental health clinician <laughs> on a daily basis and being somewhat boundary, that's the one place where I can be a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. But I still find myself approaching it clinically and be a little bit more bounded with my students. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I find, as well, as kind of this, the classes go on, I'll open up a little bit more, share a little bit more about mm-hmm. these different experiences. Because really, each section of the class, I have a personal experience on, and I want to share that so they know that I'm not some, I'm not a fake. Yeah. I've been through it. You know, and I think that adds validity, and I think it adds some it adds a little bit more substance.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I was getting from hearing you just talking about it now. It's like you had this experience and then you started doing research and like your experience was exactly what kind of the research was showing was effective. And so like you really speaking to that, I think is, um, powerful, but yeah, I know that there's that clinician sense of I can, I should only do this if it's in service of The class, right? Yeah. 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 But it seems like it really is uh, most of the time.
2: It it is. Yeah,
1: which is cool. I think that's why it's um, so awesome to hear that you're doing this because like it's coming from direct experience.
2: Yes. So valuable. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And there's there's definitely a fire there as well. Just hearing and seeing so many athletes that may have fallen into addiction. After they're done with their sport, and I've heard that a lot between collegiate and professional athletes. You know, so um, it, it's definitely a fire to spread the word around this, just to you know have friends reach out to call me mm-hmm. <laughs> or call somebody who's gone through it and try to get some help.
1: Yeah, you talked earlier about um, some of the practical applications that you can pull out of sport. Um, and help like students understand how they can apply these. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of is like on your radar for those things? I know it's personalized, but.
2: Leadership, teamwork, communication, cooperation, um, you know, qualities such as that. And there's Mm -hmm. a, it's called support for sport. And it was developed at at a university. And what it does is it takes all the different skills that can be learned in in an athletic environment, and then how those can be transferred over to the workforce. And so those are some of the areas that we look at. I also find one that's innate that doesn't really get discussed much is that sort of that fire of being challenged. That doesn't really – I don't really know if there's a Mm. word for that, but there's that fire when someone says you can't do something. There's something about the athlete mind where – it, the middle finger decides to be shown, and <laughs> you go. I'll show you. You watch. Yeah. Like there's something about that grit. There's something about the perseverance, the resilience as well. That this tool doesn't go into, but we also bring those up as well. And I think that those are some of the qualities that are that can get transferred over. To to, I mean, you don't lose that mindset because you're going also into a competitive environment, mm-hmm. whatever it is that's just capitalism. Yeah.
0: I was thinking a lot of people of the people who I think are probably particularly affected by the transition in a negative way are the people who, whether it be on their high school team or on their college team were like the star and they've always been that star. Um, how do you, begin to engage with somebody who's coming down from that level of notoriety in their sport and kind of help them reintegrate into a world where they're maybe not put on that pedestal mm-hmm. because I feel like that has got to be one of the hardest transitions here in the whole sport to real life context is when you're viewed as this, you know, leader and highly skilled and then you're entering a workforce where you're, you know, just another bee in the beehive, you know? So how would you, how would you approach that?
2: Well, number one, I'd direct them to find a therapist because I think that they need, will need to have somebody to process their experience with Mm -hmm. at some point. So I think that's the first step. I think the next step is that someone's transition can last any length of time, six months till forever. Some people will not move out of a transition, they'll stay stuck Mm -hmm. in it. So I think that understanding each person is going to have their own transition process and length of time and allotting them the space uh, and the time is important. So that would be my recommendation is find somebody that that you feel comfortable with, that you can talk to. And at the same time, Be real compassionate with yourself because it could take some time to move through this and get on the other side.
0: When you say allowing somebody the space, I guess what would not giving somebody space look like? Like what do you traditionally see being um, getting in the way of people having the space to really come to terms with their own, um, you know, that career ending or if anything, if anything comes to mind?
2: Hmm. What gets in their way? Let me see that got that question right. Yeah. What gets in their way? Well, the easiest way I can describe this is I sort of think of the Confucius philosophy. And I and I if I get this incorrect, excuse me. But how I see the Confucius philosophy is it's very structured, right? You go to school, you graduate, you get a job, you have a family, you pay your mortgage, you have your car payment. It's very structured. And I think that for a young person coming out of high school or even coming out of college, there are expectations that are put upon a person. You need to go out and get a job. You need to help pay with your rent. You need to help, You need to do this, 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 and this from all these individuals who are older than you or within your family who are trying to put these expectations upon you. And I think that those are good to a certain extent, and at the same time, those expectations put more pressure on people to have to move faster than they're willing to, mm-hmm. and more
0: willing than Or ready this, to. Or ready mm-hmm. to. Yeah, because like it's, you said, it can be a lifelong process. Exactly, exactly.
2: So I think that's what I mean by how people want to push.
0: Mm-hmm. Giving yourself maybe the mental space to work through that process yourself without having to not only work through that but also navigate all of these societal pressures that are being placed Mm -hmm. on you exactly okay i like that Mm -hmm.
2: exactly i think that's i just think that's
0: the kind of back to self-reflection in a sense you know needing to have that time to really mm -hmm. think about and i create that identity realign yourself with what that identity of yourself is
2: yes yes or find it again
0: or find it again Mm -hmm. yeah
2: whatever it may be. I, I I know personally, I've gone through many different identities mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of some, I, I almost find sometimes it's like, uh, uh, what are those games where you, in Vegas, where you spin? Roulette. Yes, yeah. it's like roulette. Sometimes it'll land on, some days you'll wake up and you you land on black and you feel like you want to go that direction or you land on the red or you want to call this number you want to call that number. <laughs> it's just kind of an identity and you got to find out <laughs> what those different parts of you, for me, mm-hmm. it's, you know, going backpacking and in deep into the mountains, going fly fishing, going surfing, skating, you know, tying flies, mm-hmm. like you wake up and, you know, have a plethora of things that you, you yeah. love to do and find out what vibe you're in that day. What's going to cause you the most amount of stoke
0: and go after it and live your dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think too, that even just coming off of that last kind of little, conversation we were having about, um, societal pressures. And I think even just that, and I really like that message that you're kind of sprinkling in with this whole thing of don't be afraid to scratch 20 itches at one time. I feel like that oftentimes gets put, you know, people want to throw the ADD tag on it or people want to say you've got, you know, you don't have focus or your commitment issues. And I think that it's really often, miss um it's not encouraged enough to go out and try a million different things wake up one day and just you know find a local hike you want to do because you feel like hiking that day and then the next day maybe you want to do something and that's okay if it's completely different but i think that's another like one of these stigmas that keeps getting um I think gets in the way of people because they may have all these uh, things that they want to do this fly fishing, hiking, backpacking, traveling, whatever it may be, but they feel they shame themselves because they feel like society is telling them, man, like this must mean, I don't know what I want to do. And that means there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And I feel like that's, so I really like that message of just like, just keep trying stuff, right? Like there's no shame in trying Something different, like I mean, two years ago, after three and a half years at a career, I just was like, I'm done with that, and I started something new, and which is great, and it's been great for me. And I'm not, you know, I can't make a guarantee that that's not going to happen again. Yep, you know, and I think that that's a really important for people to understand in in a lot of this stuff. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, take risks. Yeah, yeah, try something new. I mean, and I I I think there's a part of me deep down, and I've actually been struggling with this personally recently is that struggle between, you know, this, I guess, I'll go back to that Confucius way of life. And then this other side of of life that's a little bit different than that Confucius, which would be obviously the Tao, and sort of that struggle, and I find that I may do things that other people see as different. And that feels very uncomfortable. And it feels that there's judgment, there's shame around it, and there's guilt. And at the same time, why acknowledge that and understand that the actions that you are taking and the the things you're engaging in are bringing your life joy and they're bringing you happiness and they're, you know, driving up here before I, waking up this morning, I went and hit the skate park and went and (laughs) rode the quarter pipe. And that, like, even though it was kind of, and then I'm here now in this jacket and, (laughs) you know, it's like this contradiction, right? And even though, I I I went and did that and I had those memories that as I was driving up here, I was just thinking about riding, you know, and the joy of that. And even though it may be much different than being a professor, it still brings me joy and it makes me happy. And and, and so how do you acknowledge those feelings that society puts upon you and still be true to yourself and do what makes you feel the stoke? Mm. To mm-hmm. be in a you know surfer terms, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Agree with you. It's hard, society. Yeah. And yeah. it just keeps, it feels as a vice that just keeps being tightened in these different areas. And
0: I don't know if I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tone it down, society. <laughs>
2: <Yeah. laughs> the constant critic. Yeah. Oh, and more so than ever. Yeah. More so than ever.
1: Yeah, I know. I was thinking about, um, like, recently, this is a completely different topic, but kind of ties in as to how people are talking about how we're on technology too much. You should stay off screens. Um, but someone was saying that, like, hey, if a screen brings you pleasure and positive emotion for, like, an hour or so, like, don't be so hard on yourself saying that you just wasted an hour of your life. Like, it's, you ex- You experience some positive emotion. That's kind of what you're supposed to be looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's what you preach a lot, too, is just, like, find these things that you like. Experiment with them. Try them out. Um, see what you like. And maybe they'll be beneficial to you in this process because, it's yeah, it is a tough one. It doesn't it doesn't get much easier as you age I feel.
2: No, no. And and even now with the covid situation and people being sheltered in place. You know, you have the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What is something yeah. like if you if you wanted to learn to crochet? Try it out. Give it a shot. YouTube's a phenomenal teaching you things. It is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> DIY heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's part of the the message for the students is go try things out you know i'm and i give this to him all the time i say i'm asking you to go have some fun (laughs) like all of you are grunting and looking at me like i'm a i'm putting more work on you but i'm asking you to go have fun so cool your jets (laughs) and uh yeah so that the Social support as well, right? We're talking about that. And then I I find one additional piece at the end is I have them write about advocating, taking this material, telling your teammates, Mm. telling other people you know, your family members, high school communities, like, get the word out. Mm -hmm. Because, again, stigma. Yeah. Stigma is going to keep it, try to keep it contained. And we have to try to push those walls, push those barriers.
1: Yeah. I know student athletes are like incredibly busy. Like their schedule is insane. Um, So I'm thinking about like myself. If I was playing at a high level in college and then I went into your class, I mean, from my brain now, I'd be like heavily immersed. Like I'd be all in. Um, Do you find that as you start to introduce this kind of topic to your students, like that they really start to be immersed in this? kind of phase or is there the feeling of oh it's just another class Mm. and I don't want you to just like like I don't want your students to feel like oh like he understands or he doesn't understand where we're coming from because I know that they do but you know what I mean right
2: I do yeah I do I think some of them do approach it as just another class and -hmm. when they sit down and actually see what we're doing it definitely startles them a little bit like oh this is different we don't do this anywhere else, mm. at least in my classes. So this is different. So I think they could come in with that perception and they know quite quickly it's different. I think there are others who do take it and run and who are really invested and are really into it. And then there are others who are on the fence. They're listening to it. It makes sense. Maybe one day they show up and, you know, they're really dialed into it. And then the next day, you know, something else is going on. They got midterms and they're more focused on that and they're not really present or they don't think the topic is related to them. And it sort of reminds me of relationship. You know, there's, Jung always said, there was a third of people that we can connect with, a third that we don't connect with, and the third where we are kind of in the middle with them. And I think that same sort of pattern is present in the class with people's engagement and people's interest in the topic. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because, man, I just think it's so, it's so nice to have this space. Um, Is it once a week?
2: Once a week on Mondays? Yeah. Monday night, 6 o'clock to 9. And I look forward to it. I -hmm. just look forward to seeing them. I look forward to seeing what what they've been up to and what state they're going to be in. Because it's Monday night from 6 to 9. It can be pretty (laughs) tough after a long weekend to still have some energy in the tank (laughs) to get through a Monday night class. So we try to keep it upbeat, and sometimes the, you know they come a little tired and they're not as into it, but they, they're still getting something from it. I think what's important to realize that sometimes is that silence doesn't always mean that people are bored. It also could mean that people are processing and chewing on things, and maybe mm-hmm. they've never been asked a question, and they are just trying to figure out where they stand. So mm-hmm. I that's kind of how a Monday nights go. And as far as the engagement piece and how I kind of approach it, Mm -hmm. it's fun.
1: Has COVID been like an opportunity to, like you said, for these students um, I'm thinking about students who've had their sports kind of dialed back a little bit. Is it an opportunity for them to really start experimenting with other stuff or has it just been pretty, I mean, it's difficult on everybody, but has it been more so difficult not having the sport and not knowing what to do? Like what have you experienced?
2: I've experienced both. I've experienced athletes who are still, who do have more time and Mm -hmm. they do have this space to fill. And I think some of the concepts from class are very valuable for those moments. And I also have students who are still, their coaches have been on top of the ball and asking them to do different workout regimens and have really haven't had a break at all. So they're still very connected and very driven. So had a little bit of both.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about how that can be. It's got to be such a weird time for athletes, just in general. Um, like that motive. That's. I feel like this is where a lot of um, intrinsic motivation can kind of shine. Mm-hmm. Is like if you're given these workouts, like you in the off season, you're given out, given the workout packet. I feel like it's kind of similar now. If you're not meeting with the whole team, like, how are you still grinding? And with that, how are you still taking care of yourself? Uh, so there's a lot to it right now. It's A lot of working pieces.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think it. I think what COVID did was it actually gave more validity to the concept of the class. Mm. Because yeah. Because it showed. It's
0: kind of what I was thinking.
2: It showed that something that you rely on can be easily pulled from underneath your feet. Mm-hmm based upon global circumstances. And now that you have this experience, let's look at it. Let's find out what has been your experience. Let's try to see where these different concepts fit and where they don't fit and continue to reflect and evaluate as we move forward. Because this experience you're having now is gonna happen at different points, expected or unexpected. And understanding it now is only going to help benefit you in the,
0: in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel like on that topic of these uncontrollable global events, things of that nature, kind of got me thinking about injury and how injury can end a career. And um, do you find that the principles behind everything that you talk about are pretty, pretty steady through the topic of injury versus um, just a regular like season ends, career's over?
2: I haven't looked at, into that in a qualitative or quantitative sense. I have not. And I, I think something to really be mindful of at least for myself is this is an idea I had. This is and there is some research to show that this is taking place as far as what I'm educating on it's still a very wide open topic mm-hmm. that Still needs to be researched, and I don't necessarily know if I'm approaching it in the correct way. But open to the feedback of adjusting things and and making it more appropriate. So, with that being said, um, could you ask your question one more time?
0: Yeah, injury as a you know mechanism for a career ending. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that there are? I guess maybe I'll rephrase my question this way. Sure. When you compare a traditional career end. Mm-hmm season's over, last season, retirement, whatever that may be. What are some of the nuances between injury as far as how people can psychologically process that? Sure.
2: I think when an injury occurs, say, you still have the season that's going on and you being on the bench, I think it can be very agonizing. I think sitting there and watching your team, you could potentially feel incompetent, feel very like you're not supporting the team, you're not helping the team, Uh, You feel you potentially may have failed them in some way. And I think one's self-esteem could substantially drop. When you have an injury and you're still going to practice, you're still watching everything that's going on, but you're on the sidelines. And I think that could have a very devastating feeling that your process has been diverted, like a creek from a main river from the rest of the team. And I think when a person sees their sport through and is done... At the end of the season, I think you are ending the season as a unit, as a whole, mm. and as that main, that main river rather than you all of a sudden having an unfortunate event and being taken off on a side creek, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I think, I think there are – I think seeing a season through to and as well when you're done with your sport and you get to the end of it, there, that's kind of when the transition process starts. So it's a, a little bit lengthened. Than say a person who got hurt. Uh, I, so that's what, how I would answer that question is I think psychologically seeing your teammates play while you're here on the bench can, is a pretty can
0: pretty devastating. So then to take it one step further, if somebody is going through that and maybe experiences that self-esteem loss or um, lack of contribution, not feeling like they have the worth to be included in the team anymore in the way that they wanted, um And maybe this isn't something you've explored quite enough to give me the answer that you may realize later, but how would somebody in that situation or having gone through something like that go about repairing that within themselves and refinding that? Do you think they need to be exposed to more teams and communities that will help rebuild that? self-esteem or what, what strategies would you look at for that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think you spot on Te- other teams, intramurals, communities, clubs, if you're still in college uh, or, you know, in a, a graduate program, so to speak. Um, I would also say maybe get more connected to the individuals within your cohorts, you know, whatever field of study you're in, get more connected to them. Um, make sure to it, you know go to your pt and and do all that in order to get back on your feet more so you, again so you can go do the things you need to do um but that's i guess that's how i'd approach that it's still it, it the question i mean the answer of it depends usually comes up yeah. because every individual is different but i think that some of those areas could be really guiding it, mm-hmm. it, you know you're not as isolated you're not as alone you're connecting with people you're Engaging in other things, mm-hmm. so to speak, I think is a good way to start that process because mm-hmm. it is a process. Yeah. Hope that answered your question. Yeah, definitely. Okay, good. I'm sweating over here. Am <laughs> <laughs> getting these questions right? <laughs> Do you teach uh,
1: all grades?
2: I actually have. I've taught K through twelve because I was three. I did was a substitute teacher for three years, and oh, then wow. now I have freshmen. Sophomore, juniors, and seniors mm-hmm. uh, in undergraduate work, and there is definitely a difference between freshman, sophomore work, and junior, senior work, as I think anyone would guess.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It is it is very interesting um, to get someone who had just taken like an introductory psychology class, and then they are in an upper division class like mine where it's all discussion, and I think it's a real culture shock. Mm-hmm. So to speak. So yeah, all different, all across the board. Mm-hmm. All
1: across the board. Yeah, it's probably cool to see those different personalities and people at different stages in their um, like sport. Yeah, like in their process. Yep. Um, I feel like that's pretty helpful. Like hearing from a senior uh, as a freshman, like preparing for something like this is probably really helpful in class.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You get that whole range. Mm-hmm. Get that whole range across the board. And we do get, you know, seniors this, um, this upcoming spring, we'll get seniors that are going to be done with their sport. And so they're entering this class, I think at an opportune time, mm-hmm. um, some are, you know, taking, some are taking it this fall and the information I, I think is starting to be transferred into some of their ath- some of their friends. So then that, those for that friend group will come back in and, and it just seems to be real cyclical and it seems to. I think the I think the wisdom of being a, a a junior or senior as well really comes through, and I think it, there's education around maturity, education around accountability, responsibility, mm-hmm. how you handle yourself. I think all of that kind of gets portrayed too in that mix because there's not I don't know I don't know how many classes there are actually on the university I mean on the colleges and this would be interesting to find where there is a mixture. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, of yeah. five freshmen, five sophomores, five juniors, five seniors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any any other class that does that there might there probably is, but it's still kind of an interesting dynamic, and it's also interesting as a professor to hold knowing developmentally where <laughs> each person's yeah. at, you know, yeah, um and then when you bring different cultures and second language, it's just a real interesting process
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and I it's just so cool to think about the cycle of this course and how. It really does seem like you just hit on all stages of grief and to uh, the ending being that acceptance and then that advocacy piece of mm-hmm. them going out and telling their friends um, and like producing that meaning. And I'm just thinking about how it's like, it's such a cool opportunity, even while they're in their own process to be like a senior or a junior, uh, to know that like I can be a strong advocate for a freshman or a sophomore in this class mm-hmm. um, and already start to apply that meaning like in this class. Mm hmm. Uh, is is so great so it's it sounds like you this is like really um well thought out i know you said like it's still open to all this other research but right now from my perspective it sounds pretty spot on
2: thank you yeah thank you i'm an athlete i don't like to fail (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know and when things aren't good enough we can kind of whip things into shape real quick yep keep it going down the right path are, so, uh, thank you for that. Appreciate yeah.
1: it. Um, do you, like, work with any of the coaches? Are the coaches supportive? Um, or is that kind of separate?
2: It seems separate for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's – and this is – this is again, this is a, a growth piece. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it goes kind of back to what you were talking about as far as connecting with the athletic department is is that a wise step to take or not yeah and is it a wise step to begin to meet with coaches and have a conversation when i am not part of the athlete i am part of the athletic community but in this covert way right as this figure <laughs> whatever that figure image is right and if some outside figure is coming into the circle how is that going to be accepted? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be rejected? And yeah. It's a tr- it's a dance. I mean,
0: I, I feel like in order to pull it off, it would have to be converted into potentially some kind of like end of season lecture. Right? You know, <laughs> yeah. it'd have to be at the end of the season. Yep. Do it to everybody at the same time. Yep. You know, and I think that could even doing it with the community who's all going to go through that at the same time could be valuable. But yeah, like if you did it, you're gonna have a hard time finding buy-in unless you can like get over some of those like key objections we already talked about. So I hope you I hope at some point you're able to figure that out because I think it would be extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Um so I wish you the best of luck on that on that <laughs> journey. Yeah. I agree with you, Brian. I agree yeah. with you. I think
2: that I think it would be – I think it's a good move. And I think what I'm what I'm subconsciously hoping for is that it makes enough waves where they can't not mm. notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's my hope. We'll see how far that hope lasts before you actually need to take some action to change things. Yeah.
0: Do you find that when looking at the research that there's any particular sports that suffer from this – um more drastically than others, or is it a is it a more female to male heavy um heavy topic?
2: When I originally did the research, it was more directed toward men, mm. young men. And I knew that as it the topic opened up, that it needed to be more more equality and diversity needed to be brought into the topic than just the gender of men. As far as specific sports I haven't looked at any statistics recently about within the last year mm-hmm. of what that, uh, what, who has, challenge, who has more challenge than others, I guess would be a way to put it. I see it more as regardless of what sport it is, there's going to be anywhere between 10 to 30 people who are going to move on. Especially, you know, from such a small college that's NAIA, I consider maybe, well, except our women's wrestling team, they happen to be pretty legit. <laughs> so different situation there, but I'm more focused on the Menlo community and it seems that maybe 0.01% are going to move on to like Olympic wrestling mm-hmm. uh, or maybe move on to a, uh, a semi-pro team overseas playing basketball. Um, things of that nature. So uh, I see it more as that 99. You know, 90 percent of the school is all going to be moving on, regardless of sport.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess reflecting on my question, even I would think the most severe cases are probably in the case where somebody maybe had this expectation that they were going to go pro in a sport. Um, that may be the most severe when it doesn't happen. And then they have to come to terms with life in a very abrupt way, you know, thinking you're going to get that payday. And like, if this is baseball, basketball, football for men, um, you know, even certain women's sports, if you're at the top of the game and, you know, an injury happens in that, you know, obviously there's a female sport pay issue in this country that, you know, needs to be addressed. But, um, yeah, you can't look at the 1% and just neglect everybody else who's going to go through mm-hmm. it too. Yeah without a doubt. So,
2: and I and I think that's part of the reason why my fire continues to burn is because I know that across this country, d one D2, D3 all over the country, kids are just leaving their sport. And there's you could potentially feel extremely lost. And I don't think that's appropriate when a student athlete goes through a whole four-year stint in order to bring money back into the school, in order to better themselves, it's almost as though you're left with this big check at the end without knowing <laughs> how you're going to pay for it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that's a good metaphor, but that mm. was the first one that no, popped up. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's true. I'm hoping that um, going back to like potentially at some point incorporating coaches that it can be reframed positively. Like saying that this support, like maybe students can see this more so as an opportunity that, hey, I'm, I need to be grateful that I still have these chances left in this, in my time in this sport. Um, like what can I do to like really cherish these moments um, at the same time, like taking care of myself, trying to figure out what else I want to do. That's uh, a bit of optimism,
0: I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I think perspective is probably yeah. like, I mean – that's probably the diff- a huge difference maker for people who transition well and people who don't, yeah. you know, if you're going into it feeling so grateful you had a chance to play in this last week of your season, you're probably like, there's probably a level of acceptance in that gratitude. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're, you know, high energy, haven't thought about it, got to play really hard in this next game. And then all of a sudden, like it just dawns on you that this is over. That's probably tr- much more traumatizing
2: hmm Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's such a interesting dance. <laughs> it is.
1: Yeah. And there there are so many um skills that carry over, like you were mentioning. And I'm thinking in my head about it, it's kind of weird because I think like sport comes so natural to you when you're so in it and it's so much a part of you. Um that like you just go out there and do it, right? Mm-hmm. You train hard, you practice, but it's something that you just do. And I feel like there's a kind of like a grunge to it, to where you can just really be yourself, mm-hmm. uh, say whatever you want to say. Um, it's a pretty open environment. Nick in that tends sense. to get a little mouthy, so uh, I do. Uh, I, I <laughs> like to be words, very competitive. Yeah. Oh yeah, right? Like you can B say, button. yeah. <laughs> then you go into a work environment, and you feel like you're like a stick, right? Like you're, you're in this, uh, constricted space to where you can't be yourself and you long for that, like space to where you can. Yeah. Um, And at the same time you, you still can be, but I know like for me myself, it it felt like that. Yeah. Like I go into an academic world and I'm like, I can't just be some free range person that can just express whatever they want. Um, so yeah, I, 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 could see that that's like a challenge is, Or it's a process, I'll say, in trying to help people understand that that person that is still on the field or on the court or in the gym um, can still be that person in a different setting. Correct. Yeah.
2: Correct. You don't have to lose it. No. You don't have to lose it. I I think if you want to hold on to it and you want to stay that person, stay connected to your sport by coaching and and still doing the training around it and playing you know, intramurals or semi-pro or... Or even a local city league, I think pursuing those and keep doing it. Yeah, heck yeah. Keep it, keep it the flame gone. Mm-hmm. I think if it brings you, I think Freud said one of the three, the three, some of the three most important things in life are work, love, and play. And if you find that your sport, if you're in it or you're not, brings you work, love, and play, keep doing it if it's bringing you that much joy that's stoke that we're talking about mm-hmm. keep doing it there's yeah. no fault in that and yeah. i think what it can do is ease your transition it's almost as though you are slowly taking baby steps away from it when you continue to engage with it when you're no as a coach maybe when you're no longer a player yeah. and maybe that's the avenue to try to link with these coaches is really that personal experience about how is your like, why are you continuing to coach? Mm. You know? Hey, well, to stay connected yeah. to the sport I love, right? Yeah. So I think, I think you bring up a good point. Mm-hmm. Nick. Real good point. Maybe that's and there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it at all. If you love it, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I personally, I forget after all these years, 12 years now, I forget that that was part of who I was. Mm. So there's, it can go, you can stay connected and stay identified in that, or you could also just leave it at the door mm-hmm. as you continue to walk forward in life as well and make something new yourself.
1: Yeah, I think that's, one of been, that's kind of been one of my favorite things in learning about grief in general. Um, like when you lose someone who you love and who's really close to you, there's this sense that you want to hold on to these sad feelings. Like it's really hard to cope with all these sad feelings, but there's a sense that you want to hold on to them because you it's something that reminds you of them Mm -hmm. and that's like what sport is like by staying involved it's something that really holds on to that identity and that piece of you uh which is so nice um so valuable and i've experienced it myself definitely through coaching uh like i've I've kind i've almost tried to play like wherever i can on whatever team i can over the past like six years so that i don't lose or or just let go of that identity and that Mm -hmm. piece of me Mm. um but it sounds like you said that, like you kind of pushed that back a little bit, or at least it was a different side of you that you kind of pushed back. It's, it's kind of cool because I, I think about how you just like really found new meaning in it, and by doing this, um, and so like you came through that like identity process and that identity development of uh, like going through the grief and then <laughs> finding some acceptance and then finding new meaning in this role in this part of my life. Yep, which yeah. is really cool.
2: And I found talking about it with the students. For, thank you, by the way. And uh, just talking about it with my students has helped me heal mm. at the same time. Because I don't know if you, about, your, your gentlemen, your experience, but I know that when you love something, there's an extremely strong emotional rea- a, a react, a attachment to it. And when you lose that thing or person or place, there that level of emotional attachment you had into it, it could also mirror the amount of emotional pain that you can experience on the back end of it. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think it's physics. Exactly. (laughs) No lost energy. No. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah, Or object that's in motion stays in motion unless there's an equal or opposite force. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and it can come to a screeching halt and it, that pain, that grief is just unbearable at times. Mm-hmm. and we all have to find ways of working through it one way or another yeah
1: do you find that there's uh some like students who really reach
2: out outside of class to you yeah there are a few that want there are one or two that will reach out and say like hey this is what's going on with me this is how my transition's going um but for the most part everyone's on their journey mm-hmm. on their journey and that's
0: that's good. Just planting more seeds. Yeah, yeah, just
2: keep just keep spreading it and it just keep spreading as best as best as I can each semester. And it, it seems that you know it's kind of in this it's, it's in this little island. You know, and I appreciate both of you kind of letting me share it with the world Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Um mm-hmm. and it's on this little island, so it's nice to get it out and at the same time there's a lot of work that needs to happen on that little island. Mm-hmm. Like I'm only getting maybe let's say a maximum. Of 40 students a semester, may I mean, uh, a year, and maybe, which is very low. And maybe out of those 40, 25 are athletes with somewhere around 12 to 15 teams on campus. So I am getting less than 10%, maybe even less than five of the athletes into my class and having these conversations. So that shows me that there needs there's a lot more work that needs to be done
3: mm-hmm.
2: at this place before you know it's time to it's time to leave the topic um, but I don't foresee that anytime soon so it, it, it has the potential to grow
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and get bigger and become more powerful and I wish there was some way to connect people across the country on this and I know that there are Different, I've heard different ideas of people writing their stories about being an athlete and what that movement was like beyond getting professional athletes, college athletes, Olympic athletes across the board. And I think that there, and I I know that there was a recent show that came out from HBO that talked about Michael Phelps and his movement beyond sport and all these different Olympians. And I can't remember the name of it, but there's a, there, this topic this is a huge topic because we're such – America is so sports-driven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so sports-driven. It's, it's so thick in our culture. You know, even, even back to the gladiators, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's carried for generations. And we idolize these people and look at them as though they're gods. And then when they're not on that pedestal anymore, they just fade. Mm-hmm big big fish in a small pond or even a small fish in a big pond it, it whatever it is and i and it it needs a spotlight on it and it i wish there was something bigger i wish there was more acceptance around this because of just the different paths that people go when they are done and i know that some i know some that are still like into drugs and haven't moved mm-hmm. beyond that Some of them have stayed stuck in that 22-year-old, and now they're like 40. They're stuck there because there wasn't anything or anyone to have a conversation with. And I I hope that we can break through that wall at some point.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so present, Um, like you're saying. Like you see all these pro athletes stay in their sport somehow. Like, they'll be a commentator. They'll be a coach. Uh, Maybe they'll, like, be a coach for youth. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's so there. And I was curious about, like, what your take was. You mentioned the last dance earlier. Like, what was your take around that?
2: Oh, that was awesome. I remember being a kid and watching the Bulls. Never did – and I was just a kid. I think I was somewhere around, oh, maybe seven I was young, and I just remember, I just remember Jordan and Pippin and Rodman and that that crew, and then you know eventually Steve Kerr and all that all that other crew got to got to understand that they were part of that as well, and it was it was just real fascinating to learn about Jordan's using his image to build shoes and how he in building the Air Jordan he also set himself up for life beyond his sport Mm. as a businessman in order to have something that he can turn to to be creative, something that's going to take his time, something that's going to help him move in the direction he wants with his business. Um, I thought that was pretty pretty fascinating to watch. And just as well, to win six championships and to be that dialed in and that focused and passionate I didn't know a human being could be that intense <laughs> and passionate yeah. in Jordan. Yeah. And at the same time, it's what it gave me a different view of leadership and how sometimes leadership isn't always being everyone's friend. It's setting the standard, abiding by the standard, and pushing those around you in order to for an end goal. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so that's what those were kind of my thoughts on it. Just to be real disorganized and all over the place.
1: <laughs> no, that I feel like that's spot on. It's kind of like what I took away too. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was just crazy to think. Um, I was thinking about, like, as you said it over the course of this conversation, how he left basketball, went to baseball. But you can see that, like, he wanted to come back because I think that that was his way of expressing himself. Like, this was his avenue of, like, this is who I am and this is yeah. my identity in a sense and – um it's it's how i really shine and so i'm also thinking about like that he must have been so like it showed he must have been so exhausted at the end of all that but at the same time like god he probably misses just that i mean he came back as a wizard
2: yeah he did did. like
1: he was always wanting that because he knew it was like exactly who he was and what he wanted to do and how he was able to express himself um it's just so there
2: yeah yeah, so real. Being a wizard also fits his style of play too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah for real. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it does. Oh
0: man.
2: Yeah, he, he amazing amazing human being. Amazing. Mm. What do you think?
0: Did you watch it? I haven't seen it. Okay. I've seen enough clips to like have gotten a good taste, um, but I yeah, haven't haven't sat down and gotten all the way through. Mm. So because I I know how I'm gonna because how many episodes are there? Ten. Ten, yeah, and I'm gonna want to watch them nonstop. <laughs> so I need to carve out some time. Yeah, 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 yeah. gotcha. Sunday, so, yeah. yeah, gotcha.
2: I do. I think you brought up an interesting point that I think I would like to expand upon a little yeah. bit. Is I think that being an athlete, you are being physical and using kinesthetics mm. for years upon years upon years, and I think that you know I think that at the end of our sport one thing the research shows is that we lose motivation we're exhausted we're tired we just want to sleep we want to kind of catch our rest because we've been grinding it our mentally and physically for months upon months and our whole lives you know you don't get maybe you don't get spring break or you don't get thanksgiving or mm-hmm. you don't get christmas time because you got go to go at all these tournaments so you're exhausted and when and at that end when you don't have motivation A lot of people will continue to eat at the same pace that they were when they were training, and they'll gain weight. And they'll lose this working out, this kinesthetic, this being physical. And I think that, you know, MJ plays golf. He gets outside. He moves around. Like Maybe he even continues to exercise. But Mm -hmm. I think what, what I'm trying to say is I think continuing to be physical in some form is how we've all how we've coped with the challenges in our lives whether that be someone comes from a really broken home or there's some there's some bad stuff that's happening elsewhere and uh, rape what you know whatever it may be domestic violence mm-hmm. you have sport was a way to physically release this frustration this pent up energy this emotional charge in the psyche right and i think when you're done when a person's done with sport I think that needs to be continued because that is how we've released what we've had pent up our whole
0: lives I think I think a lot about that too in terms of like evolutionarily right like human beings granted the level of you know having a sport and then losing it may not have been present but we evolved in a time where like you would enter a high stress, high emotion, whatever type of environment, and you wouldn't have a choice to not continue to demand from your body. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, you know, you could, you know, you were going to have to go get food. You were going to have to go hunt. You were going to have to go gather, whatever it may be. You're going to have to build something. You're going to have to climb that tree. You were going to, you. So this idea that, you know, the way to kind of release some of that, um, stress and anxiety that comes along with ending your sport and some of the, um, the other things that come along with it, like you were saying, I think we have to, we have to maintain, like, I think even beyond, um, you know, just as a, necessity for overcoming the end of sport i think just like as a society in general we need to start normalizing a a volume of physical activity that is not present because i think you know a lot of the stresses and depressions and anxieties that are even present out there today i mean you know there's probably a certain degree of like a huge percentage of that that comes from some form of loss like this that happened at some point in somebody's life that they still haven't worked through all the way Mm -hmm. and i think that the physical side of it and just not stopping and keeping going and moving like physically moving on and emotionally moving on um, is just so critical. And I don't think people give it enough value as they should, because like you're saying, I mean, if you stop, you're you're slowing down the process of you continuing to progress through whatever you're working through. Correct. Yeah,
2: correct. Agreed. We're running around, hunting, gathering. It's in our biology. Yeah. It's in our DNA to be physically active. And it's fairly recent that civilization has been more stagnant. And I think what that results in is more energy being stored in the body Mm -hmm. that used to be released, like you're saying, by just your daily living. Yeah. Yeah. And the work that that requires.
0: Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the statistic is. So I may quote this wrong because I'm not 100% on it. But there was some evolutionary biologist who I recall giving a talk. And he made note of something evolutionarily that people have developed to require what he called a minimum biological requirement for activity. Mm. And it was something like – two and a half miles of walking would like would like borderline suffice for how much physical activity people needed just to like meet what biologically we we should be demanding of ourselves mm-hmm. and what we're capable of doing without thinking about it without even stressing we should and like we are so far from that mm-hmm. and i think if people literally just walked a mile in the morning and a mile at night like i know that's easier said than done like Against societal pressures and careers and work and all that, but like, man, just dealing with all this stuff yeah. that we're talking about, right? Like, just Seriously. if we're not meeting that biological minimum requirement, then are we really putting ourselves in a position to just be health at the peak of our health, mentally and physically? So, no, yeah, no. The answer <laughs> is no,
2: <laughs> no. And I think we see that come out in. The dumpster fires of social media. Yeah. I think it, I think when th- things get pent up and your bucket's overflowing over, you know, overflowing because of all the stressors that are occurring in your life and you don't have any way of releasing it physically, I think it comes out emotionally. And I think it also comes out in your cognitive thoughts. And I think it's very easy to react instead of respond because your battery is. Not empty. You don't have anything extra in the tank to get charged up, over so to speak. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah uh, uh, agreed, agreed. I wish, and I and I think that being healthy is another piece of sort of this transition process, right? Mm-hmm. And that two, you know, two miles, two and a half miles. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's part of it. Mm-hmm. It's part of it because I think it's real easy to get content. Yeah, it's real easy to want to just stay stationary and not move around and it's a slippery slope when that starts happening yeah and having a fight it's hard mm-hmm. i know i'll i know i've fallen into it a few times yeah it's not fun no yeah. <laughs> and, I, and i feel worse because of it
1: yeah mm-hmm. it's the athlete in you right
2: <laughs> yeah and then there's that other like 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 you know i think we all have our own self-motivating thoughts like Get yourself going. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go. Just to be a little PC about it. It's a little Mm -hmm. harsher than that, but. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: that's the hard piece too about like transitioning from being an athlete is uh, I think trying to identify like Brennan was saying that goal with fitness um, because you you work out for your sport. Now that you're done with your sport, what are you working out for? Um, Like and remembering that like it doesn't have to be suffering. (laughs) (laughs) I know that a lot of student athletes like working out suffering. Yeah. Um, it can be pretty positive and a good experience, because um, right out of college or right out of your sport, like I, I want to say, you're justified in saying, "Hey, I should probably deserve a break." Yeah. yeah. But it's like, yeah, how long does that break last? Right. What do you do still? And mm. uh, yeah, that's that's a tough one.
0: It is. Have you heard of a paper that the Harvard Divinity School put out called "How We Gather"? No. It's really interesting. So what th- the two people who wrote up the article identified that um, younger generations today, this was written about 2015. So, mm-hmm. but they did a survey and younger generations were reporting a lesser propensity to be religious, but a high than previous generations, mm-hmm. but a higher tendency to want to express spirituality. Mm-hmm. And they were noticing this and they're like okay if they're not going to go to religion but they want to be spiritual where so they did this big research on what types of communities are young people finding out there in the world that aren't religious but are allowing to them to express that community spirituality piece that is really like to go back to the like anthropological side of this is like ingrained in us in humans like Mm -hmm. evolutionarily we were in tribes so they found a whole." Host of characteristics that some of these primary organizations had that were drawing people in and giving them a sense of community. And I believe at least five of the top 10 that they identified were like communities of physical activity Hmm. like soul cycle was on there. People come together, they CrossFit, you know, yeah, CrossFit was on there. Um, and there's a couple other, like, of those, like orange theory types of classes. And, um, it was really interesting because the physical, you know, the physical aspect of being in a community. And I mean, it sounds like those are the types of things that are being, are needed the needs of the athlete when they're leaving their sport are or potentially could be met by a lot of these different organizations um and i just thought that was pretty relevant in what you guys were talking about it was pretty interesting
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah it makes me think about uh, uh, body pump the 24 hour fitness or yeah. the, p90x or you know, p90x yeah. you know those those communities or even, uh, I know for me, it's a, you know, meet up with some friends and go surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I've been skating by myself, but I met some people the other day and all of a sudden there was this community of skaters and it and it felt really good to be connected to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's be doing something physical, sweating and, yeah. you know, cracking our skulls and things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I agree with you. I think it's important because it, it's sort of the kind, same concept, right? It's doing something physical and with people that you care about. Mm -hmm. people that care about you love and belonging
0: just like a sport and those were two of the characteristics that they talk about in this paper maybe i'll maybe i'll send you the link after because i think you you could get a kick out of it Mm -hmm. but yeah like some of the attributes were um like there was a a group goal of bettering yourself Mm -hmm. and then there was also positive societal pressure to push you to get to that goal Mm. and those were two of the big things that a lot that a lot of these organizations had um and yeah i think you know when we talk about people exiting their sport and they need to be in this like physical, they need to continue to express themselves physically. Mm -hmm. I think might as well just take the two things and merge them together and make that a community thing too. Right. Cause that's another thing that you identify that all these people are missing is they're, they they're severed from that community. And now all of a sudden they don't have a way to express themselves physically and they don't have that, system to turn back on and that can be a you know when you even said that people need um to identify who that eight to twelve support system is Mm -hmm. you know maybe finding you know you can i think you can probably create surrogate support systems in a sense by just implanting yourself into a community right away yes and so so i think that's a another commonly miss missed opportunity for people who are exiting sport Mm -hmm. i don't think they approach um seeking after a community like that and i think it would you know help people tremendously
2: agreed Mm -hmm. agreed or i I think another idea just to add on what you're saying is maybe get some of your friends and say hey look here's a color me run or here's a spartan run or here's a mud run i don't know if they do mud i think they do still do mud runs Mm -hmm. uh or some of these uh I think it's called Ragnar. It's a, it's a run in, in Tahoe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or or even, you know, plan something in the future. Mm-hmm. So you at least have something when you're done where you know you're going to get together with everyone and you have gold, as you were talking mm-hmm. about, to mm-hmm. get to and you'll still be connected to your community. Or if you find yourself having a job and needing to move somewhere, inserting yourself into one of these CrossFit or Soul Cycles or classes at 24 mm-hmm, wherever mm-hmm. it is like find these groups and take a risk yeah you know yeah you're gonna feel scared you're gonna be worried to feel like you might be judged but at the same time once you get your workout going your focus just change and mm-hmm. and and then you'll meet some people because you'll see them on the regular and then yep. you're included mm-hmm. so yeah those are some other ideas.
0: Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think this, this conversation is probably one of the more valuable things not being discussed as like a society, right? Like just, and again, taking it one step further than just sport is like so many types of transitions that people need to figure out how to work through.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, life transitions, relationship transitions, um, I think this—the idea of transition mm. period—I mm-hmm. think—is a huge concept. As we all have experienced some more than others in this COVID situation. I mean, I didn't realize how valuable this topic was until this year when COVID hit. All clinical work was moved to Zoom. All academic work was moved to Zoom. And then, you know, noticing people around losing their jobs. Uh, economic turmoil um you know and then of course black lives matter and george floyd and just a you know that continued process and and women's rights and that continued process and and, and then personal things with my own family around people getting sick and and grandparents getting older it was just like all of a sudden it was transition was on blast mm-hmm. and it and it felt really valuable it felt really valuable to at least have this information and understand like i'm kind of in this at the moment i'm moving mm. through i'm moving through this transition and i don't know how long it's going to take but let's let's settle down let's take a breath what is it you can rely on what is it you can who can you turn to you know and just stick with that for a while and, and let's just take this one baby step at a time so I think the idea of transition is not talked about uh, at all, mm-hmm. and I think it it is extremely valuable too. Yeah,
1: it's that's so true. It's uh, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to not experience like a lot of um, like traumatic events happen in your life, you can like like myself, I kind of just got by, went to college, and while there's some transitions within that, they're not like anything severe, and so it's not really talked about until it happens. Like, there's not a lot of prevention. It's a lot of treatment, and that is unfortunate. Um, And I think, like you said, like, once you brought up that you were teaching this class to me a couple years ago, I was like, God, that just resonates, like, perfectly with what I see in the kids that I coach, um, what I experience with some friends of mine, and they're going through it, and what I felt, too. And uh, it's it sucks that like it has to be treated. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just really glad that like, this is something that is starting to get talked about more. Uh, it's cool to start seeing some pro athletes like open up about some of their struggles that they went through mm-hmm. um, and really be vulnerable, even in a light to where everybody's hearing about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's really, it's really strong of them to do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited that there is an emphasis, starting with you, that there is an emphasis on prevention um, rather than treatment throughout this process, because it's uh, it's it's a lengthy one, and yeah, change is just something that we're all going to experience. But like you said, you don't know when, so how do you prepare for it?
2: Right. No. Thank you for saying that. Good point. It's mm-hmm. a really good point. Is it? We're Western medical model. Yeah. After the fact. Yeah. rather than early prevention, which is more of an Eastern concept, mm-hmm. and I I find my own personal drive to be more towards that prevention work with the clinical work and the psychosis and things of that nature as well. That's early intervention work, and then this is early intervention inter, early intervention work as well. I think it's it's valuable to have conversations much earlier than they're needed because mm-hmm. I think it only helps the individual develop more appropriately rather than be blindsided yeah so thank you for saying that
1: yeah well i just think about like how in grade school we don't get taught about stuff like that you know
2: no
0: like it's <laughs> never you get not even know the concept. concept you we didn't even know the concept of that you don't know. No. yeah it sucks
2: i mean balancing like a uh, balancing a checkbook not taught no you know, right, right. Well, what is a checkbook by the way
0: <laughs> yeah probably just some paper that i throw in the recycling yeah it right? <laughs> it's a right. receipt right yeah
2: <laughs> right. So i still have grandparents that still do a, a checkbook and that's how they balance their their checking account and it just is such a foreign you know foreign a concept yeah, yeah. well yeah. gentlemen how long have we been talking
0: Uh, A little over two hours. A little over two hours. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah.
2: Hmm. I've enjoyed speaking with the two of you. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I potentially missed on this topic, but I think it seemed like we we covered a
0: lot. We did, yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Covered a lot. Now, from what I understand, I mean, Nick, you were talking about your your, uh, athletehood. Right, and you also have an athletehood as well, Brandon. Right? Yeah,
0: I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was a volleyball player, uh, played in high school and at the club level in college, and yeah, four years. And you know, I wouldn't call it traumatic in the traditional sense, but you know, in most sports, I think the number one priority is to not is to control your unforced errors. Um, and my career ended with an unforced error to lose a really important game. And that was how it ended. And yeah, so I went through a lot of what we talked about. I was pretty fortunate because I don't know that I felt any, I was very much so, you know, hang up the cleats kind of a thing and, you know, just move on. And I didn't really think about it. And I'm sure there was some something there that i i I didn't even think about it like I wouldn't even have know where to start thinking about it I just let it end and moved on and I tried coaching for a little bit and just like wasn't it wasn't the same for me mm-hmm. as uh competing in it so I stopped coaching and then you know a couple of years go by and you just like stop really thinking about it. but I think there was also a part of me that um wanted to just tell myself like that door shut that's fine you know that's fine i'm gonna just leave it in the past it's not gonna be anything anymore i even tried out for like um you know in men's volleyball in the bay area like they were trying to start or in, i mean sorry across the u.s they were trying to start like these um like these semi-pro teams and stuff and like i tried out and got on one of these teams but then like there was so new it was so unorganized like it wasn't really like I couldn't make a commitment to it because it wasn't like a committed thing. So I just didn't really buy into it. And then, yeah, it just kind of, just kind of fizzled out. But, um, yeah, I, I even since knowing you were going to be, uh, talking with us today, I tried to try and figure out like, what did I maybe do right or wrong in that transition that, I mean, I feel like it was easy. Um, so I'm trying, but I, you know, I think I may have just shut the door on it so abruptly. Um, I mean, obviously like the ending when it happened, it stung. Um, but I didn't like sit with grief about that in any way. I I feel like I had a pretty clean break. But um, yeah, it's uh it's interesting because when I think back on it, it's like, man, that probably should have been something that was a I mean. Should Maybe it should have been. Maybe it shouldn't have been. I'm, as I'm in the middle of saying this, that it should have been a more traumatic type of moment. But maybe it's maybe that's just the um, – maybe I just had mentally prepared myself. I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that was going to be it. I was at – I just easily got to that acceptance stage and was ready to move on and mm-hmm. came to peace with it. So I don't know. Yeah. I think we all had
2: three different experiences.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm right yeah
2: Uh, well you know in the sort of an easy break yeah an easy an easy divorce (laughs) if you want to put it that way yeah or an easy easy break more challenging Nick. yeah more challenging sort of break and i had an extremely i mean challenging one as well Mm -hmm. and i think that's something to highlight is that there's a spectrum here yeah absolutely and some people are you know some people had uh, some people are going to leave their sport and they're going to be like I'm good because I, I have these internships under my belt I'm going to start a job right away and I'm going to jump right into my job because this is something I've been wanting to do whatever it is sports management accounting so on and so forth so I think that's something to be also conscious of is it you know if the if you move on easily and quickly great if you are going to have some challenges well we got to talk about how you what you can utilize Mm -hmm. you know so there's a wide range of experience but
0: i know that both of you know that already yeah one just to reiterate the point that you made earlier that like this can be a lifelong process for some people yep Mm -hmm. and it's yeah you know it's important for i think those people who are going through a very long-term separation acceptance whatever that is called um not to feel down on themselves for feeling bad about still being separated from their sport, even if they're in their forties and fifties, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's a lot of life to still live and There's a lot more time for them to go out and shred and, you know, jump on that skateboard again or <laughs> get in the water with a yeah. surfboard. And
2: yeah, I know I think that's a, I think that it goes back to some of the goals you were talking about, at least for myself is, you know, having the goal of backpacking, eighty miles in the mountains, that's a goal. You gotta train for that.
0: Yeah. You're not just
2: gonna walk out there and walk eighty <laughs> miles because you're gonna get destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Learning how to learn how to surf. Like having these things that you can, you know, even if you're gonna even if you're gonna compartmentalize and put that to the side or and and you continue to move on with your life freely or continue to have challenges and accepting that and knowing that's normal. Still having these goals, and things to pursue
3: hmm
2: whatever it may be yeah is important because it is it's going to distract you but it's also gonna motivate you mm-hmm. bring fullness and to your life-
1: mm-hmm. I'm thinking too as I reflect a little bit on my process through sport uh if this was similar for either of you I, you once you touched on the commitment piece about the semi-pro team and how it's like it's not really there it's not really organized mm-hmm. and we come from a high school that is very disciplined, like very organized, like everybody's committed. And if you're not, like you're probably not going to be on the team or it's it's a standout for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like my hardest transition piece was going from everyone's in, everyone's bought in, the culture of everything is just really into this sport to going to a sport um, at the next level of where it was just very different. Uh, I couldn't find that same community and so when I had to like step away um, I felt like I was still longing for that Mm -hmm. you know and I I couldn't really feel that somehow Um, I mean thankfully I still found other communities in the sport and just really I think I came to an acceptance to where I was like okay that was something that happened probably not going to experience that again and maybe that's the value in it Mm -hmm. Um, but that was a, a hard piece I think is trying to find out where that commitment level can s- sustain and like, where can I still find this? Cause there's a drastic change as we leave high school for, I mean, some people experience it in college and then collegiately or at the pro level, but like that kind of sense of a collective goal. Um, I think that's what was hard for me in transitioning out and yeah, just coping with that was tough. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I still long for it cause I coach like at the high school level so I'm still wanting it it's still a piece of who I am Um, but yeah that that was something that I was just reflecting on and how I've I've known that some of my friends or people that I've looked up to have played on the same team as me and then also go on to college and they end up quitting and they say that it just like it wasn't the same like the culture was very different Um, I just didn't feel like I fit I fit in Uh, it wasn't the sport wasn't doing what it was for me um, in the past. And, that yeah, that's just a really weird change because you have these expectations. Uh, and when that's all swept under your feet and completely just different, it's, it's a lot to face all at once. Is it ever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these changes. Yes. How, what, what can we do to start uh, changing things around for kids in grade school so that they can start... I'm getting little doses of this,
2: let them play different sports, yeah, yeah Co- collective goals reminds me back what we were talking about around the physical, evolutionary, physical mm-hmm. communities and things like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's a, that's an interesting point that I can definitely implement. and out of everything we've talked about today, what do you both of you gentlemen think also needs to be added?
3: Hmm.
2: as I'm hearing this, I'm hearing. This collective goal, I'm hearing that there needs to be some sort of bridge to the athletic department in order to connect with the coaches. What other areas do you think need to be addressed regarding this topic that maybe this class or other arenas are not bringing up?
0: I think one area that comes to mind, actually, I just clicked on me how similar it is when Nick was kind of explaining his situation a moment ago um and i think there's from what i hear there's already a lot of criticisms in this realm already but transitioning military yes it's the same we're talking the same thing and i don't um i don't know exactly what the transitioning military plans are out there to help them um but i think in the efforts when you're in your class, I think that's one that people can connect with a lot of people, even if they don't know anybody who's been in the military or whatever, um, they get what the transition in and out of the military is like, I think at least to a certain degree. So I think in the efforts of normalizing, um, and kind of reducing stigma around the topic, um, you know, the military can be a good, reference point to kind of guide people back to like look at how normal this is like we have hundreds of thousands of people every year who are doing this in these other places and these are similar communities they're working together these like superordinate goals um Mm -hmm. this word nick and i've been using the last few weeks Mm -hmm. um and you transition out and you lose that in a more severe situation where you very well may be coming out with some PTSD or some other type of actual like real physical traumas and maybe, you know, even more closely related to some of these highly physical sports, like there could be even more correlation there. Mm -hmm. So I think that could be an interesting um, comparison you can draw. I don't know if you've done that um, in your class before, but that just clicked with me as Nick was kind of talking there.
2: It's a Mm -hmm. good idea. I've not drawn it in though I have connected with military, retired military personnel around it, and there seems to be as you said, a lot of similarities there. I Mm -hmm. haven't directly used it. I wonder what it would do if I did bring a a military veteran into the class in order to speak about transition in order to more closely identify with students who are not athletes who are just students, Mm -hmm. and I wonder if there's anything that would relate that that could relate to them, in that sense. Is them, you know, I understand being in the military is an honor and it is a identity in itself. And then there is this transition to being in civilian life. And I wonder if there is something about that transition to civilian life that may have some bridges somewhere and mm-hmm. in, in intricate pieces and things of that nature. So I think that's definitely something to consider. Um, and it we haven't directly utilized it. I'll I'll definitely definitely think about that. I have another
1: question just in regards to logistics of the course. So yeah. it's a one semester course.
2: One semester, three units, um, and it is been about twelve weeks. Twelve week class because COVID kind of tightened mm-hmm. down. Sometimes I kind of sneak in a week as well to go on an adventure. I did this mm. semester. Nice. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, 12 weeks. Uh, and it, really the end goal is to have them, of course, to have their creative strategies, have them th- their support network developed, and have them look at the love languages they possessed as far as others, and then have them build a plan for what three pieces from the class they found most valuable and that they can share to their teammates mm-hmm. or share to others. And so when they are... Later on, down the line down the line, and they are in a transition, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I took a class on this, and uh, I wonder what it is. They can pull up their final paper, they know what the creative outlets are that they that they you know utilized who their support people are and also you know how to advocate for some of the material and advocate for themselves because I think obviously the more we're educated, the more mm-hmm. we can advocate for ourselves,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I was also just thinking, you know back to the you know, just ideas that are hitting me in the middle of this conversation. Yeah, I don't know if they, w- if you could be, if they could be executed in your, uh, um, your program or anything, but is there a way to maybe like utilize the class itself as a, like moving forward, like this can be a support system for you or like just thinking face, a Facebook group that people can join, you know, in anticipation transitioning out of sport where mm-hmm. people can share their story, express their struggles or do whatever they want to do. You can funnel in-class content through it in- of some sort. I don't know. I think they're um, just putting that hook in people to keep mm-hmm. it on their you know presence of mind and a place where they can go if they need an outlet or just to feel like they're not alone because other people are going through it. I was, I'm just curious if there's a way that your class can almost become this like – community of sorts Mm -hmm. in itself i think it
2: does have the opportunity
0: to be that yes the thing i
2: think that's something that i'm deeply challenged by is building something on a social media platform where everyone can be together in one space in order to support one another um that's something that i have definitely thought about i continue to remain stuck on it for some reason and i don't and i don't know necessarily if it's because i I'm not skilled at bringing people together. I'm more skilled at providing information and then letting it go out into the universe. Um, though I think it's a solid idea and one that I definitely need to do because that would be a way, of course, of getting guest speakers to come back. You know, you get mm-hmm. students who were in the very first class coming back and talking about their experience and how it related. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of value in that and it brings the alumni community as well. So, I agreed, agreed, and I, and I think that there's been a part of me that's been a little bit f- scared that the since the course is still developing and it's still you know only six years old, it's still really an infant that it didn't have enough weight to keep people engaged, that it needed to be fine tuned and on, on point in order to take it in that direction, and maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's just more my fear. That is, and I, what I'm trying to say is I like the idea and that's something I need to do and been challenged with just you, to be transparent.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's, I mean, definitely easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. So yeah. no doubt about that. But yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of, of how like past students
1: can still come back and still stay connected. That, that'd that be really cool.
2: I agreed. Yeah. And where's the where's the line, though? Where's the line between yeah. reaching out to students and saying, hey, do you want to come guest speak? And them actually wanting to reach out. Mm-hmm. Where's that line? <laughs> it's
1: somewhere there, right?
2: <laughs> it's somewhere, and yeah. I don't necessarily know what it is. It's, I think, yeah. I think if they had a profound enough experience and the information resonated with them and they felt the same sort of passion about the topic, they would find a way to contact, mm-hmm. right? and that and there's only as i said been one or two that really have reached out so that then that makes me wonder too is if the content of the class and the structure of the class is actually of practical means beyond the athletic arena because if and if the information is actu- is actually being utilized like a follow up you know survey to a case mm. study things of Mm. that nature uh it's that would also be i think another piece of it is Mm. now that you're five years down the line what was helpful and what wasn't helpful and so i can adjust this and change course of the ship so we can so more people will get on the ship rather than jump on lifeboats and are left to these tools swimming in the ocean with the lifeboat yeah so to speak, I don't know if that's a good metaphor, but I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah.
1: Adding that quantitative research piece would be really cool, and the qualitative how, piece.
2: I think how would how would one qual get quantitative research for something like this? It seems that from what I've seen, <laughs> from what I've seen, it's more qualitative. Yeah. yeah,
1: you just have everybody sign consent, say stating that. Six years from now, I'm gonna be pinging you with a survey.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm sending you the mail. Give me the address. Random.
1: You won't yeah. remember it,
0: but you're gonna be asked some questions. And here you go.
2: Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely.
0: Yeah, you have to get some kind of polling in. I guess that'd be like because then you could pull data from the polls. Exactly. <laughs> but how do you get why yeah. like volumes yeah. of polls to like make it meaningful?
2: And mm-hmm. good, and it it would. Be have to have to go back and get everyone's email address and yeah yeah send them all the Survey Monkey <laughs> get all the stats and the numbers and sort of reopen the stats book. I've <laughs> I haven't really used much stats in my clinical work <laughs> since I took it in my graduate studies. It doesn't really transfer it over very well.
1: Do you but. remember? Sorry, not to just go off this topic, but I'm, I'm pretty curious. Do you remember what the whole first time you taught this course was like?
2: Yeah, it was a one-unit class, and it was seven classes. And so all the information that I'm teaching now was condensed into that, Man. into those seven classes. And then uh, it, it, I got an opportunity to, exp- and it was, I was really scared. I was, I think I was 28 years old. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a 28-year-old kid. I don't, I, I've had three years of substitute experience, so I'm kind of comfortable in front of students. But as far as what this, organism is this class i created in my graduate thesis i don't know what this is (laughs) i don't know if it's gonna work i don't know if it's gonna resonate i don't even know if i have enough personality to keep them awake (laughs) (laughs) so it was an interesting dance and it had a really good response that first semester and so it's like okay there's some there's some nuggets here that are good And let's keep getting feedback every class. Let's keep finding out what's working, what's not working. And it was just – and then the class jumped from one unit to three units. Um, And that was a kind of a funny story I was telling Brandon earlier about needing to present my course proposal to an old professor I had in undergrad who was (laughs) a ruthless grader. (laughs) It was ruthless. And so I have to turn him in. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm – I'm twenty-eight now, but I f- or I'm twenty-nine or thirty and I feel like I'm back and I'm nineteen again <laughs> <Yeah>. with this <laughs> yeah.
1: professor. It's exposed.
2: Yeah, it's like, man, there's some there's some transference going on. <laughs> um and so then it became a three unit class, and then it it's been that way ever since, and it, and it's continuing to become what it needs to become. It sort of has its own life. I just happen to be this uh median that it channels into and goes out into the world and it and it kind of takes its own course from there Mm. so that's kind of how how it happened yeah we got really fortunate really fortunate i've been very blessed and i hope that the college continues to have me back
1: yeah no it sounds like they were pretty supportive in increasing it from a one unit to a three unit course
2: yeah and actually got i mean and I feel terrible about this, and I've also benefited at the same time. as there was a lot of classes that got cut due to COVID, mm. as everything moved online. The colleges looked at what's the essential part of our you know, our criteria and what we're trying, our curriculum, what we're trying to teach, and got really fortunate that there was something valuable about this topic that, you know, allowed it to pass through that filter. Mm-hmm. and make it to the other side and to be able to just be recognized that this content is part of what we do here felt really good and i felt very grateful for that and continue to get really good reviews from students and, and sometimes they give me a you know they grill me as well because it's, <laughs> it's an evolving process yeah mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of how it's how it's gone and that's not to kind of sum everything up because we don't have to end, but <laughs> but that's the the course and what the topic is, and I think it we need to keep talking about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I th- I had one more thought. Keep going. What are your? <laughs> how do you think potentially the AA model could apply to this?
2: The AA model.
0: Well. I think. Do you think that would be a beneficial, like, way for people to get the community and self-expression that they may need in the in their transition? I think it's. I think it's highly possible. Yes. I. I don't want to.
2: The model of AA, as far as the book, the big book, the general meeting in different areas and for accessibility. The anonymous, uh, the anonymous aspect of it. I think it would be beneficial if athletes got together and sat down and had a conversation. And where they built community and they knew that they weren't alone in their process. I think regardless if it's AANA or any other area, I think, again, the community piece is knowing mm-hmm. that you have a place where you are loved, you belong you're accepted. You're not going to be judged, and you're going to go through this process together with us. Is a good one, and I and I think that the AA model has obviously proven to be very very effective, and I think that it could be effective in this area as well. Um, just a different topic, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I wish there was a way to facilitate that to have, you know. But I think I have meetings where athlete, previous athletes get together and we talk about the old days or we talk about how we're going through our current process. And at the same time, I think we come back to one of the beginning situations or problems that we, or issues is who would show up? Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to have to go back to that place? Yeah. I have friends that actually will not talk mm-hmm. to me about their athletic career because it is so tender Mm -hmm. and it is so charged. Yeah. So I think it would be great and at the same time it makes me wonder who would show.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd have to have like a little, a small starting group of people who were, maybe people who were willing to, you know, who weren't really in the place anymore Mm -hmm. but were willing to maybe like Hey, bring one friend. (laughs) Veterans. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to help you. And you need to come to this because I think it will help you. Um, No, nothing forced, but get people who have identified somebody in their life who they think would need it and benefit from it. And then all those five people. So it turns into a group of 10 and it's a safe place for everybody to do it. Mm -hmm. Like a core group of five founders. Yeah. Like five (laughs) founders, like the founding fathers. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. Or mothers.
2: (laughs) I think it's. I think we would need but more mothers, or, or maybe even six. A balance of, yeah, gender. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I. It's very interesting. Something I find in my class is that I. It, as I'll spread this topic, but then as soon as, I have a, old friend named Michelle Myers who was a volleyball player at Holy Names, University. She as soon as she comes in there's almost this feminine energy that is transported into the class. And there's this aura of what the professor's talking about is actually true. <laughs> mm. You know, that it sort of becomes solidified and there's this more open discussion that usually ensues beyond that. So I think having a balance of men and women yeah. is going mm-hmm. to, it would be important for something like that in order to, for people's energies to, on a masculine or feminine level to be, uh, you know, identified with, mm-hmm. and it's only going to generate more safety, more trust, better discussions. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that's all I got. Gentlemen, been, awesome. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. thank you both for letting me speak to my experiences and my truths and what I am uh, trying to do every day uh, on this topic. I really appreciate it and. Letting me spread this information.
0: Yeah, we pre- we appreciate you coming on because, yeah. I mean, we've both lived it. We know people who are living it. We're going to run into people in the future who are going to live it. We're going to go through it again at some point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's is, this is invaluable information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we're grateful to have you
1: on and like grateful that you're like part of this movement, like starting this movement of really opening up this discussion because it needs to be talked about. Parents need to know about it, you know, prepare their children for it. Children just need to know about it and prepare themselves for it. So, yeah, thank you for this work.
2: Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. If anyone wants to reach out. Yeah, please. Get a hold of me at transition.creatively at com. Mm-hmm. That's the course email. Um, send an email there and I can best support you with whatever situation that you're you're having or if you have any suggestions about how to improve the course or areas that you think are beneficial for uh beneficial for this topic i'm open to them and please reach out thanks for listening everyone Mm. great thanks